and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast that's more exciting than Jimmy Johnson after he takes a couple of Extends pills. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher, and I may be dumber than a bag of hammers. I'm Mike Bloom, and unlike what these guys are going to say, I definitely did not offer to pay their mortgages off mic. And I'm Paul Oselson. <laughs> Jack Black. <laughs> <laughs> He's so fat. <laughs> oh no, Benry. <laughs> the two lines from that were, haha, Jack Black, and he's so fat. Benry really uh, coming for the Richard Roper territory of, of just A-plus movie critiques there. <laughs> and welcome back to part three of our continuing coverage of Survivor Nicaragua. We've been uh, entertained by us twice, and now we will go for the third one here, where we finish off the season that limps slowly to a finish. Although, before we get started, I just have to say, again, I brought this up in parts one and two, how perfectly fitting this season is for a show like uh, Historians, because it's really like a three-part season. You got part one, the young versus old. You got part two, the Marty show. And, like, we literally ended right on the Marty show with the Marty episode, and now we're going to go into part three of the season, which I like to call The Collapse. It's it's a, it's a spectacular one. I'm still hung up on the Richard Ropert reference, but, you know... <laughs> We're going to move on, but you're exactly right. You know, I, I think that, you know, when people list Survivor seasons, which irks me to no end because, you know, you know, we all have opinions and we all if someone says, what's what do you think is the best Survivor series or, or season? We're all going to have opinions on it because as humans, we rank things. But with a show like this, it's hard to do so because what you look your enjoyment in a season may vary depending on if you like the characters, if you like the story, if you like you know, X twist or that or blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's all sort of there, but nobody really ranks Nicaragua super high on a whole bunch of lists. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily, I think because it's a bad season, it's just a weird season. And I think that the weirdness, there's weirdness all the way through, but there's weirdness in every survivor season. But I think it's, as you said, this, this final tumble of episodes really tumbles and, and, and not tumbles in a bad way. It's just, it's, it's a washing machine. It's just going everywhere and it's weird to parse out particularly when it comes to the ending, because I do feel like, you know, we're talking 40 seasons into Survivor. At this point, they sort of know how to relatively tell a story when it comes to a winner's edit. But Fabio was such a mold breaker in so many ways, right? You could say that outside of Jenna Maraska, he's one of the first people to truly win out in the end, having to win all the immunities when he needs to. He is someone who doesn't really get in on the strategy. In fact, he was on the outside of many of the votes, yet he still ends up winning. And I feel like these the editors just had a really tough time telling his story. And we talk how some seasons are, okay, it's not the season of how Danny wins. It's the story of how Stephanie loses. This isn't the story of how Natalie White wins. It's the story of how Russell loses. This is both the story of how Fabio wins and how Sash and Chase lose, but Chase also om almost wins at the same time. Right. It's it's such right. an odd way to finish a story. And I think one of the biggest problems I was had watching it um, and was not super excited by the this final stretch of Nicaragua is 
also Sash and Chase are not that interesting. So it's <laughs> like we're not talking about a, a Kathy, you know, from Marquesas, like the reason why how Kathy loses in the end and it's like this big tragic thing. It's like, do we really care that much about Chase or Sash even together? Like I I really don't even care that much. So it was kind of a struggle, but I know there'll there'll be fun things to talk about regardless. I gotta expand on that a little bit, Paul, because I wrote that exact thing thing in my notes, but I actually expanded it a little further. I wrote Sash and Chase are not interesting enough to carry a narrative. But the problem is neither are Holly and Jane. And I think that's a big problem with the season. They lose all their star power immediately, three in a row. Brenda, Marty, and or that that whole area. I forget who else is in there. But they lose their stars and everything that's left. Yeah, Nayanka. Oh, Nayanka. Sorry. I apologize to Queen Nayanka that I've forgotten you. But yeah. But uh, how, the, the narrative cannot support a structure based around these characters. And that's the problem with Nicaragua more than anything. Yeah, I mean, that's I know there's been a lot of co- comments about how the cast is, you know, unlikable. I wouldn't necessarily say that, but there's no one that I think Paul invoking the, the KVO comparison is very apt. Because I do feel like Holly and Jane are almost like dollar store versions trying to fit that mold mm-hmm. of the older woman who is, who's overcoming something. How many times in this batch of five episodes do we have to hear about what happened to Holly on day five, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, even the fan favorites, quote-unquote, from this endgame are not that great or interesting people, especially in the spectrum of Survivor characters. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and, and you, you bring it there uh, as well, and maybe we don't have to talk about it later, but you talked about dollar store versions of Kathy O'Brien, and that's the whole thing is in Survivor, the Marquesa, you know, we it's that whole thing of show, not tell, right? Like we saw, we were shown Kathy's struggles at the beginning and overcoming it and so you didn't have to hit over the head near the end of the season uh, like where kathy came from and so when she loses that challenge and you know she's gonna get voted out like you instantly feel all that weight of everything that you saw come crashing down whereas in this one it's just you know holly telling us what happened to her at the early days over and over and over again they're just telling us and and it's just it's not as rich of a of a of a experience i guess And there's always the thing that Holly has some baggage behind her that someone like Kathy didn't have, where you get to the end of the season where Dan is just railing on her. You're a thief. You're a crook. You should they should cut your hands off. You're a scumbag like Kathy never had that. So, Holly, they're trying to force a kind of a round peg into a square hole with her. And you can see they really want her to be the star of the season, but it doesn't quite take. And I think that's really what might like I don't really have a lot of gripes with Nicaragua. I have a lot of sympathy for what the producers and the editors had to deal with. It's a story that's untellable. But their problem is they're throwing all their hopes on Holly at the end and Jane and Fabio. And neither one of them can really support the narrative. And that's really the only flaw I see in this season to be honest not to mention the fact that due to what we're gonna get into pretty soon with this unprecedented double quit you have to there's a bunch of you know uh perceptive edits that going all the way back to like rupert i don't think we have seen since of you know jane being shown as this fan favorite heroine when really on the island uh people did not necessarily like her and then almost the opposite with nayanka where a lot of people really uh, seemed to get on with her to the point that despite maybe the, the her brusque personality, she was in that majority alliance and in a position of power. But because she does this thing that the producers want to make an example out of, she gets one of the most over-the-top negative edits for an endgame character in Survivor history. And so it really is sort of like 
flip-flopping and balancing things out. To your point, Mario, it did seem the editors were handcuffed to a certain extent, but I think due to certain agendas or things that they had to present, it also led to a good amount of fudging and obfuscating certain people's personalities. Yeah, and not just Nayanka. We're going to talk about Sash and Chase here. <laughs> they they get the Nayanka treatment quite a, uh, quite well as well, but it's more subtle. And we've been pointing that out in the intros, but it's really going to get blatant as we get to the end here. The editors do not want you to root for Ch- Chase and Sash, even though they had they probably had a very decent chance of winning at a certain point. They do not want you to think that at all. So you'll see it in the especially in the intros. Okay, so let's get to where we left off. We left off with Marty has just gone last episode, and there are ten players left. And this next episode is the fall of Brenda episode. I'll kind of tip off where we're going with it. But it starts out with, it's basically five people against five people. And this is something we talked about earlier in the podcast, how everyone thinks Nicaragua has a very confusing storyline, but it really doesn't. There's one alliance that is in charge the entire game. And that's the big one of Sash, Brenda, Chase, Nayanka, and Purple Kelly. And they've been in power the entire game. They're still in power. Right now it's five against five, those five against these other five. And this is the episode where the other five are going to rise up and rebel against Brenda and Sash and their big five. All right, so what do we got here? We start the episode. This is the one with the intro, right, where (laughs) Jeff Probst is really going for an Emmy this season with his narration in these intros where the intro to this one, you know, in the old days of Survivor, it'd be like last week on Survivor, Stacy won immunity or, yep. and then Richard was voter or whatever. So it was, but the, they were well past that in season 21 where Probst is going full on sonnet. He's like Shakespeare here. Brenda and Sash last week were the king and queen of Survivor, and everyone else is a peasant. <laughs> I know, and the peasants were revolting or something. I was, I think I, I can remember where I was turning this on this episode. Go, okay, let's start this rewatch. And we were, I was ten seconds in, and I think I, I groaned audibly <laughs> to listen to this whole segment. You know, but he sets this whole thing up. But I always thought, I like the downfall of Brenda is not is very anticlimactic. Like she's hardly even in this episode. Like it's, I mean, by the end they talk about her, but I'm just, I kind of was like, okay, this is going to be Brenda's boot, and nothing that interesting happens. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the weird thing is that it's because I think again a little bit of a hand that the editors were dealt had Brenda done anything to stop the train that was coming in her path maybe there's something they could work with but the weird thing about this episode is that it ends up being what an eight to one to one vote against brenda who doesn't really do anything to prevent her own downfall eight peasant votes against the queen and the lowly peasants And it's funny because it's decided like 15 minutes into the episode, it's going to be Brenda. And they never deviate from that the rest of the – it's like the the Roger Sexton and Amazon episode. Like there's no doubt who's going home in this episode. Yeah, I mean – and it starts right from right here, right, where – and maybe they're trying to set a little thing up with like, oh, now Brenda feels too powerful because she got rid of Marty. And then it immediately cuts to Holly just saying, all right, yeah, uh, we're going to make a power play right now and get rid of Brenda. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think that this is not, you know, the the tension here is not necessarily person versus person in this episode. It's it's really just, you know, person versus viewer at home's cognitive dissonance. <laughs> like like they tell you, like, we're going to make a power play and get Brenda out. But, you know, we've been watching that, you know, like Brenda and Sash are like in the driver's seat. So we're like, no, it's not going to happen. Is it? It is. Is it? <laughs> It, it 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 did. Oh, it really did. Oh, okay. Yeah, and again, I cannot overstate enough how 
how crushing it is to the narrative we're going to lose Brenda right after Marty. Like, these are, like, the major characters of the season. We're going to lose them back to back. Although, there's a couple of things in this episode I want to point out that are important because it's not so much that Brenda goes home in this episode. It's that this episode kind of sets up future events. Mm. So the editors, you can kind of see they're, they're playing their hand where Fabio's complaining about the rain, how the rain can make you quit at some time. It's so harsh out here. And we see the scene of them gathering all their supplies up next to the fire and their tarp and everything's very close to the fire. They're trying to keep it away from the rain. And this will have a payoff later when everything burns down. And then the other thing in this episode that's key that I think a lot of people forget is again, if you haven't watched Nicaragua in a while, you only remember Nayanka's, you know, fighting with Kelly B and quitting and just being a you know bad person all around. But she's very key to this episode. Nayanka, you could argue, is really the star of this episode because she, as Probes points out, is Brenda's best friend, best ally, most trusted ally. And she's the one who's going to turn on Brenda. And it's going to really going to really set the stage for the entire rest of the season. Yeah, though it's also the focus of like this, you know, pre-reward challenge stuff as well, is that Holly's trying to round up people, right? She's going to go to Benry, she's going to go to Nayanka, and she goes to Chase, and this is going to be the first of many times throughout this post-merge, the storyline of Chase disagrees with the decision, but feels like he has to go along with it. But again, the weird aspect of all of this is you would think, okay, like, this is the tragedy, right? This is, oh, Chase betrays his allies and he cuts them, and as a result, he loses because they don't vote for him. But they do. You know, <laughs> Chase cuts Brenda. Brenda votes for him. Chase cuts Jane. Jane votes for him. Chase cuts Holly. Holly votes for him. So it's this, again, this really weird story where you can't say, oh, Chase is being cutthroat and getting rid of all his allies and crushing the game like maybe a sash would, but you can't say, oh, Chase is the Russell Hans who is making promises and then betraying them and they're pissed off about it. They're still voting for him at the end. So how do you tell that story? Uh, I, I have I have thoughts about this, but I'm, I'm going to save them for the end, final tribal council yeah. uh, with this. But um, I do want to point out, I, I just want to give the readers a little bit of context uh, with everything, because you talked about Jeff Probst's flowing narration in the <laughs> in the in the credits and stuff like that. And I just want to give people sort of a, a thought. This episode and this season ends in the in the back half of 2010. This is the year that Survivor Nicaragua comes out. So this is like, you know, your your October through December ish kind of uh, show that's happening right now in 2010. In two years' time, the like you know, in the back half of 2012, a show uh, debuts on CBS called The Jeff Probst Show, mm. which is Jeff Probst's very short-lived talk show, right? And so what you have to realize is things in TV don't move super, super quick. It's not like sometime in 2012 someone was like, we need a talk show. Uh, get the dude from Survivor to go on the talk show. You know that Jeff Probst and other people that are Jeff Probst allies are lobbying for him to get some sort of show. And I think he's trying to – and if not, he's at least trying to show CBS like I could be more than Survivor. I could do more things. And so this timeline sort of fits – with, you know, perhaps Jeff trying to spread his wings, uh, you know, stretch into other genres, as you will. So, you know, for the next couple of seasons, if you feel like Jeff Probst's narration in his, hey, let's talk about things gets a little bit over the edge. That's why. That's a great point I hadn't thought of. Well, on top of that, though, I mean, we're going to get into it with this reward challenge. It's not just the narration, though. Like, Jeff is 
I don't want to say punchier. It's almost like he's looser with the way he's talking to contestants. And we talked about this the past couple times. Maybe he feels like it's, you know, after a big returnee season, they're trying to figure out what, what to do. This is also Jeff segueing into this executive producer role, as we've spoken about as well. But I feel like Nicaragua is an forgotten season when it comes to, like, Jeff Probst moments. And we get a good amount here, particularly in this final batch of episodes. Yep. Oh, one thing that brings up that, that makes me think of. I'm glad you brought that up, Jay. Uh, this Mike, I'm going to tie this into Saturday Night Live. Okay. Okay, so you said Jeff is, has an entirely different way of talking to the players. He's looser with them. He's more free-flowing. He seems punchier. I, I'm reminded of a quote here that I remember Taryn Killam on SNL said, Lauren Michaels changed when mm. Tina Fey, Kristen Wiig, all of them left the show. Because all of a sudden, he wasn't around celebrities anymore. He was around a bunch of new people like me, Bobby Moynihan. And, like, Lauren Michaels changed because when he's used to changing, being around celebrities, now he's around regular people. He, people. he doesn't have patience for us anymore, and he could tell. And just think, this is the season right after Heroes versus Villains where they had the biggest season of all time. Jeff was talking to all these Survivor legends. There's probably a little momentum that Survivor may end around this time because how do you really top heroes versus villains? I'm wondering if this season's the one after where he's like, I don't want to just talk to regular people anymore. I'm used to these big Survivor players and legends and stuff. So that actually ties into what I think Jay just said. Yeah, I mean, so that was, I believe that was specifically from the, the 40th anniversary, right? That it was like, oh, Lauren was surrounded by all these celebrities praising the show. So does mm -hmm. that, what, does that, does, is Boston Rob like the Alec Baldwin uh, in that case? That's exactly what I was thinking, yes. <laughs> anyway, I just thought I'd bring that up. Okay, so so this whole scene is Holly and Jane. We can't forget Jane. It's not just Holly. Holly and Jane going around gathering everybody to go against the Alliance of Five. And again, it's going to be five versus five at best. So they need someone to cross over. They're going to really target Nayanka. They know Nayanka really wants to win this game. She's really aggressive. And so they go to her. Jane goes to Nayanka. And I, I always love this scene where... Uh, viewers who know Nicaragua will get a laugh about this, where Jane says, I want to reel in Nayanka because I don't like to associate myself with villains. Not in this game, not <laughs> in real life. So to not associate with a villain, she's going to gather Nayanka as on her side. <laughs> uh, just to sum that up for people, she's what she's implying is that Brenda is the villain in this game. They all saw Brenda as the villain, and Nayanka is, you know, crazy and, and, and spontaneous, but you can trust her, and she's, you know, they all, they all seem to get along with Nayanka. So to the players, Nayanka is not the villain. Brenda is the villain. Which is, uh, you, is... You, you, you could be like, oh, the older people didn't see her push Kelly Bruno down, but the older people did watch her bury food and then admit mm -hmm. to it. So it's not like there's, there's not evidence in front of them. Um, as as funny as I do think that that whole thing is, it is just kind of interesting as we talk about Nicaragua being so weird. It is kind of hard with a lot of these characters. You can make the case for a lot of them. They each have kind of this villainous side and this heroic side. They're supposed to root for them, driving the narrative, but also have a lot of really unlikable traits or do a lot of really unlikable things. You know, I mean, just to to, to mention Holly again here, you know, the, the hero of the season we're supposed to get behind is the same woman who threw, you know, Dan's shoes in the water. So it, it's very muddy here about who really are the heroes and villains. But yeah, that, that scene sums it up perfectly about, um, you know, the most heroic person ever here is Nayanka. Well, again, it's something I just want to point out to people. If you look between the edit, between the lines, when you watch these seasons, when someone wants to get something done, the person they always go to is Nayanka. 
Nyanka has a relationship with everybody in this game and they all seem to like her. So it's like, it's like the view of what fans think of a season is nothing like what the players thought at the time. And the players have said that before that, yeah, Nyanka was kind of fun. (laughs) Okay. We do get one more scene here where, like I said, Holly and Jane are trying to pull everybody in and Holly goes to Benry. And this is one of my favorite quotes of the season where Benry says, we need to get Brenda out of here because Kelly purple crawls up Brenda's ass. And this is where they should have done the, the Arrested Development thing, where they cut to a blank screen that says footage not found of not her not crawling up Brenda's ass. But I, I do love that quote. Yeah, I don't know. I think we're going to get a better pe- Purple Kelly, Kelly Purple, uh, <laughs> however you want it. I, I, we talked about this in part one. It's, it's, it irks me how it's Purple Kelly and Kelly Purple. Like, let us figure out one <laughs> unified way to pronounce this poor girl's nickname. <laughs> they even purpled her nickname. Yeah, or at least gaslighting us into making you think it was Kelly Purple the entire time. <laughs> okay, so we, we yeah, could so... do we could do an Arrested Development thing and just go and her, <laughs> her, yeah, her egg. <laughs> Kelly Purple making a little mayo egg in her mouth over there. Okay, so yeah, Holly and Jane are pulling everybody in, and again they get Nayanka. They pretty much have everyone. They have Benry. They have Dan, and the only one they make again. The editors will make a specific point to point this out. The only one we cannot get because we don't trust him is Chase, and Holly says this over and over. Like Chase is an idiot. What is wrong with that boy? He's just stupid. And so again, the editors are going to push this narrative so strong that they cannot have you rooting for Chase in that final episode. And this is why we'll see all of these comments, players bashing on him, even though, as Mike and Jay have pointed out, he almost wins. All right, episode 10, the reward challenge. This is the blown bridge, right, where they have to, like, cross uh, using the barrels and the, and the planks. Yeah, I mean, this is more like blowout bridge. Like, this is not even close. Uh, this is just what, like, Chase, Purple Kelly Purple, Jane, Nayank, and Fabio just, like, completely demolish the other team. And this allows Jeff Probst to, as mentioned before, have a lot of fun with his commentary at the expense of the other team. Okay, let's uh, remind people of what this is. This is the reward. They're going to the Cerro Negro, one of the most active volcanoes in the world. And Kelly, Purple Kelly, will even demonstrate, she'll explain later how active this volcano is in one of the greatest Purple Kelly, Purple quotes. Now I've, I'm turning the mic, or now I'm saying it both ways. <laughs> okay, so yeah, the winners get to go to the volcano, and this is the one that Fabio's team win. What is it? Fabio... Chase, Jane, Nayanka, and Purple Kelly, they solve this blown bridge. They cross it first. It's not even close. And this is where Probst has the comment about Benry at the end, right? Because it's not even close. Yeah, the ceremonial loser dismount. But even before that, he's he's saying things like, oh, a little Cirque du Soleil going on with Benry. Uh, you know, oh, Brenda's trying one of the barrels for him. That'll work, dot, 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 for a minute. So, again, this is like giving Jeff pure prime rib to just chew up these remaining five contestants who are legitimately struggling. I mean, it doesn't help when you have, like, Dan Lembo, uh, just an entire sack of beans that you have to lug around for this entire challenge. But Jeff is still going to make a meal out of this. Now, did you catch in this puzzle when the winning team wins, the they figure out the blown bridge strategy? Do you catch which three are the three really driving it, the three strategists of the winning team? I will say the brains of this challenge appear to be Fabio, which should not be a surprise. We'll talk more about Fabio's intelligence later. Chase, who's apparently very good at logic puzzles, and Nayanka. Nayanka's right there with those two figuring it out and telling him how to solve this. So, again, I, for one, am super shocked that it wasn't Jane Bright. 
What? How dare you? Uh, it's, 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 I'm surprised she said, probably sets up obstacle courses for her dogs the entire time, right? Isn't that like how she wins every challenge is because there's a dog thing that she's done? It's like Slum Dog Millionaire. I'm so glad I lift dogs. <laughs> Surprisingly, Purple Kelly does not appear to be part of the uh, decision-making team that's solving the puzzle. Well, she doesn't talk very much. <laughs> I know. It's weird, huh? Funny. I guess that's the word. Okay. So they win. They're going to go on this really iconic. Again, there's... You know, if, if if you remember Nicaragua, there's probably five or six scenes you remember you haven't seen it in a while. This is probably one of the scenes you remember when they go to the big uh, black sand volcano. We look like prisoners in those orange jumpsuits. <laughs> I know. What is with the orange jumpsuits? I I, I like because I because that's so they don't get camouflaged and get lost. But how are you going to get camouflaged in like a black sand volcano? Was it like a heat thing because they were near a volcano? I'm not sure. But yeah, it was it was odd because they are. They're not just, like, walking around. They'll do that next season, right? As I think they'll actually go into the volcano, and that's when Boston Rob throws the idle clue in there. Here they're sort of, like, next to it, but instead they're more so using it as background to go sledding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, I did not know. Did you guys know that volcano sledding was a thing? I mean, what kind of a question is that? <laughs> I don't know. Look, I'm I okay. I'll I'll, I'll state because the because here. because I'm because I'm the only one who grew up in a state with an active volcano, Mount St. Helens. I was alive when that thing blew up. I did not know about volcano sledding, so there's no way you guys know right. about it. That's the whole thing. Like, of course, the answer is no. Like, we're gonna sound like coach. We'll be like, oh yeah, I, I know people that board volcanoes all the freaking time. Paul, about is it a Montana thing? Um, no, we have a lot of beautiful things in Montana, but that's not one of them. Okay, so it's established. None of us know what volcano sledding is. Now, I'm, I'm sure we'll get dozens of emails from our listeners. Oh, yeah, we do that all the time. You guys are stupid. Never mind. They all right, so... the jumpsuits, people. <laughs> yeah, what's with the orange jumpsuits? Those radiation suits? What's going on? Okay, so they go to the volcano, and they get to walk around. Again, this is a cool scene, and, and this is where... This is the episode where the editors really start burying Purple Kelly Purple, right? Yeah, because this is then sort of having the picnic. Though there is one little thing where while they're at the, the while they're at the reward, they're like, "Oh yeah, what do you think's happening at camp?" I don't care. And then cut to the camp burning down. <laughs> Isn't there also the line in there with with Kelly saying, or when Chase says, "You don't really talk very much," and she's like, "Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I know," or something. Which it's yeah, like just we'll perfect. get to that. Okay, we'll get to that. We're not quite yeah. to that yet, but yeah, this okay. is. So Purple Kelly, we'll talk about her for a second. Purple Kelly Purple has not spoken most of the season. That's kind of been the running joke. Even online during the fan, during as the season was airing, people on Survivor Sucks and other message boards were like, have you noticed this girl has not had any confessional? She said, I get to milk my own milk, and that's it. That's the only time she has spoken the entire season. And this episode, they changed the strategy. This is the one where they try to make Kelly look as stupid as possible, that they will only include things that make her look silly. And the first one that I've always loved here, I, 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 I will defend Purple Kelly Purple to the death here, but this is where <laughs> they're walking on a volcano, and Fabio says, how active do you think this thing is? And Kelly says, active? So there you go. <laughs> it's active one of the purple of active. Kelly. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, so this is where they go volcano sledding, and Jane says the immortal quote, that was fun as crap. I mean, this, she's, she's not wrong. It looks fun. 
it does look fun as crap. I will totally agree. And and now we cut back, and they said they don't care what's going on back at camp. And now we cut back, and now we get the uh, Butch Lockley memorial scene of the camp burning down. Because surprise, surprise, if you leave a bunch of wooden chests in the immediate vicinity of a burning fire, those chests might catch fire and might summarily burn your shelter down. Jay? How would you describe that wood? If there was one way you could sum up how that wood probably was when it burned down, how would you sum it up? Uh, well, I guess we'd have to figure out, oh, 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 say the line, Bart. Yeah, I'm setting you up, damn it, say it. <laughs> Monkey, dance for me. <laughs> that right there, that, that was dry. Thank you. Our audience loved that. Thank you. They really appreciate that line. I was just going to say, I, it's probably because they were all not believing in themselves. So maybe they should have done that more and the wood wouldn't have, wouldn't have burned. <laughs> okay. I find it hard to believe Sash and Brenda were not believing in themselves enough. After all, they are the king and the queen and no, everyone else is a peasant. What it was is that yeah, I think all the peasants didn't believe in themselves. So it overwhelmed the king and the queen feeling. This is, you know, it's a weird blip on a weird season, but I do think it helps compound a big theme of this season, and especially this endgame. Another reason why it's just such a strange and maybe a bit of a slog to get through is that everyone is just miserable. Uh, and I think it's due, a lot of it is due to the weather conditions. But then even stuff happens like this. Like, yes, the shelter burned down in Amazon, but that was at the final five, right? Like, that was three or four days before the end. You just have to tough it out. This is like, what, 13 days before the end? You still have a third of the game to get through, and your shelter is just burned down. It just feels, you, you feel how demoralized everybody is, and it just continues to drag down the mood of everyone. Yeah, and I want to, uh, you know, just defend Purple Kelly and Nayanka a little. I've always liked sticking up for them because this quit thing gets an inordinate amount of hate among the fan base. But I think people forget, if you have not watched the season in a while, or you have not put two and two together when you watch these scenes this episode their camp burns down and one of the things that burns down is their tarp the flames go high enough it knocks out their tarp they have no protection against the rain so when the rain hits next episode this big huge storm they have absolutely no protection under it so if you try to think of the reality of that for purple kelly and Nayanka, who are already having a hard enough time as it is all of a sudden their roof is gone and then the rain hits you can start to understand a little more where they're coming from so i think i just want to remind people that the tarp being burned down is a significant reason why things happen later we'll get we'll get to the quit when we get to the quit but yeah i have a lot to say about that well i can also imagine that you know they're gonna eventually come back to nicaragua after this two-season batch for seasons 29 and 30 but I can imagine one of the reasons why they leave it behind for a bit is because generally Nicaragua does not seem like a good place to film. And you can imagine this was part of the reason, right? Like as miserable as it was for the contestants, it's it's got to be at least a little miserable for the crew as well. And so you could see how like Jeff Probst speaks about this with Marquesas, right? About how just it, one of the reasons why they never went back there is because it was really tough for both cast and crew. I could imagine something similar here, especially with all that debilitating rain happening. Yeah. I mean, you just, no one's having fun the last part of the season, except maybe Fabio. Fabio might be having fun. No one else is. 
Okay, let's get to back to the reward. So this is the famous scene again. Purple Kelly, the endless butt of jokes on message boards among fans, everyone at the time. And this is like the editors throwing a little bone to the fans that love to make jokes about Purple Kelly, where all the reward players are sitting on the volcano eating. And Fabio says, who's running the show right now, do you think? And Naoka's like, let me, let me talk to you. And she pulls him aside. And it's just Purple Kelly, Jane, and Chase sitting at camp. And Chase just kind of looks at Purple Kelly and says, you never talk, really. And she's like, I know, it's kind of funny, huh? And that was like a little meta joke that all the fans at the time loved. It's like the editors making fun of how invisible Purple Kelly is in this season. All right, so let's talk about Nayanka's chat with Fabio, because this is a cool little scene, because one thing I wanted to point out is up to this point in the season, every single time we've seen Fabio and Nayanka this season, they've been fighting. Like cats and dogs, like brother and sister, they just they just are always at each other's throats. They cannot handle each other. And this is really the first moment, if I recall, in the season where they're kind of like have a bond. It's kind of a sweet scene where she pulls them aside and she fills them in on what's going on back at camp. Yeah, and then this is where you talked about this a lot, Mario, in the first two parts about how they're really, again, they're trying to fit a square peg into a bit of a round hole here. But they're trying to give Fabio content throughout the season of, all right. This was Fabio's intention all along to slip under the radar so everyone would disregard him. And then when he needs to, he'll beast mode his way to the end. And we get another thing here, right, where Nyanka's going to come to him with the plan to get rid of Brenda. And he says, okay, this is great as long as I can just stay under the radar and slither through things. And that indeed is going to happen. But they, they sort of have to try to sprinkle these crumbs of Fabio throughout, even if it's not exactly the full meal. It's sort of like the Fabio seasoning. But also, but also, you need to give a little bit of like juxtaposition, right? Because Fabio is going to beast mode himself through the end, right? But you you have to have a starting point for that. Like you can't just be invisible and then all of a sudden, oh look, there's this guy winning challenges because because then you get in you get Brett. into a Brett you get into a Brett problem, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you need to have him start somewhere, right? And so the the two logical things are he had some really bad he he was on the outs and had a really really bad start. And, and so no one was going to necessarily vote for him or whatever in the major alliance. But then he beast modes his way through there, uh, a la a Chris or something like that. Or you need to basically go, Fabio was just not really in on all the sort of stuff and, you know, did enough to scrape by and get under the radar and then position himself for a win. So you ha- and I think that's the narrative they went with, obviously. And so you have to show this, you know, Fabio kind of putting his hand on his head going, what is going on every <laughs> once in a while? Yeah, it's really this is we're going to get really philosophical here, but it's really odd to see kind of people discuss Nicaragua from a modern survivor strategic mindset, because you'll see a lot of people kind of attributing things to Fabio that he didn't do. Like they'll say, oh, you know, he knew it was going on all the time. He's he's playing dumb like he was always playing dumb. He he clearly had his pulse on the game. He was kind of running it quietly. Like you'll see people make that argument. And that's not realistic. That's not really what's going on. But it really comes down to a bigger question. Do you have to control a survivor game to win it or even be considered a valid winner? And a lot of people nowadays seem to think you do. That, oh, you if you didn't control it, then your win doesn't really count because you got lucky. But I don't really, I mean, my argument has always been I've never thought any player has ever really controlled anything in Survivor. It's really just luck and how they tell the story. But you'll see a lot of people attributing things to Fabio that I don't think he actually did because they have this cognitive dissonance. That's a word we've just brought up earlier that they 
they want to like Fabio as a winner, but they also have to think that he controlled it in some way, which is weird because I don't think you need to have both those things. Well, and just this, you know, um, one of the things I do like or appreciate about Nicaragua is a lot of these um, themes we had from much older season in terms of as we go down these stretch of episodes, there'll be a lot of discussions about, you know, holding up your word and, and um, you know, the honor of uh, of your word and don't show your face in North Carolina after this. And there's a lot of that kind of that old school mentality to things. And so even though I personally don't think Fabio is a great winner by any stretch of the imagination, I do think in keeping with what the show is at its core, it's important that you do have different types of winners over the years because even to, I would say to anyone who is this like, who are super, 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 um, you know, obsessed with the strategy and that you have to be the strategic mastermind to win. I think for the sake of the show, continuing to be the show, you have to have times where a Fabio wins. Otherwise, what fun is it to watch every time you watch if the most strategic person wins every single time? Like, you have to have these wild cards in there. That's what makes the show fun. You're watching it, and you know there are going to be seasons where a Fabio-type person can win the game. And that's, that's at its core, the beauty of the show is that really any, all these different types of people and players can win, even if you're not, you're not always going to like you know, the type of person who wins. So I, I do think Nicaragua is important um, in that sense. Right. I totally agree. It brings into more context for those of you who are sports minded and and whatnot. I'm not going to go on to this. You know, you think about any sport like uh, think of that New England Patriots team. Uh, what an 07 that that went undefeated in the regular season, then made it all the way to the Super Bowl. And everyone was like, they're going to be the greatest team ever. And then they lose the Super Bowl to the New York Giants. And, you know, it's all fun for most people who don't like New England Patriots. But now the question is, so who was the best team that season? Right. Logic dictates it was the Giants because they won the whole thing and won the championship at the end. But the Patriots beat the Giants in the regular season, I believe. And the Patriots, you know, the Giants lost a whole crap ton of games and the Patriots lost one game the entire season. It happened to be the one at the end that you probably shouldn't win. So, and, and I, you know, the 2001 Seattle Mariners who won tied the most wins ever in Major League Baseball, subsequently get to the playoffs and don't win the next uh, series to get out there. Sorry, Mario. But, like, the question Bastard. is, the question is, who was the best baseball team that season? You could say it was the team that won the World Series. A lot of people would say, well, it was the Mariners because they won just a shit ton of games, way more than anyone else. What's correct? And when we talk about Survivor, that's the whole thing. Like, a lot of people are like, well, the winner was the best player of the season because they won. But then other people are like, that's not necessarily true. Someone could play well. But then, you know, unlike baseball, where there's a definitive, like, you win baseball games in this manner. In football, you win football games in this manner. In Survivor, it's this is all subjective because it's just people out there playing a game show. And there's no one way to play it. And there's no one way in which people make decisions. And there's no one way in which the game unfolds, uh, weather-wise, all that sort of stuff. So it really is just a matter of what do you value? What do you like? And it's all—it's always going to be subjective and different, which is just sort of maddening when we get into all those things. Well, but I agree with Paul in the sense that if the same type of person plays the same type of game and wins every time, is that is that good? Is that what we want? Yeah, I want to follow up on what Paul said, where Paul said, I don't consider Fabio a great winner, which I know is just a throwaway comment. People say that stuff all the time. I say I find myself saying that all the time, too. But I just want to challenge that comment. What makes a great winner to you, Paul? And this is, I'm not picking on you specifically. This is for mm-hmm. every Survivor fan out there listening to this because you watch the end of this season 
every time the jury walks into the final tribe or the tribal council set and they see Fabio with immunity, they're cheering and smiling and laughing. They love it. You go to the final audience. The audience is so 100 percent Fabio at this finale. They love it. And you can see him, you know, dancing around. The audience is cheering for him. Someone screams out his name. Go Fabio right before the final votes are read. Like he is overwhelmingly popular for this cast and that crowd at the time. So why? I mean, again, and not to pick on Paul specifically, why would that not be a great winner to you if everyone in the game and the crowd was cheering for him? Is it rhetorical or do you want me to talk? I mean, talk? It's, if you want to talk about it, I, I just want yeah. to float this to every single person listening to this because I know people I, I rank think, winners all the time. But right. what makes a great winner to you does not make a great winner to everybody. It's really right. an open-ended term. Right. And I think that's, the again, the beauty of the show, too, is that you have all these different types of winners. And uh, you as an audience member, you have kind of the the choice to like the winner or not based on how things played out. And I think it's for me personally, it goes back to just the, the issues the season had, you know, telling this narrative of Fabio and that that's, mm-hmm. that to me is why the win is not that as, as great for me is because it just all of a sudden it's, it was three wins in a row and then he's the winner. And I didn't really feel that invested in the story up to that point. Mm-hmm. So for me that that's my personal reason why I don't get that excited about his win but like i said mm-hmm. before i think it's important to have that yeah. that's a pot that should be a possibility like you should be a likable enough person and if you win the right challenges you win the game like that's that's how it works he beat out two other people you know who were much more involved strategically but that's that's how the game works yeah and I, a lot of people would agree with you yeah I, yeah piggybacking on paul when you say great winner versus not great winner when I say those terms, a lot of times I don't talk about it in terms of value, like they played this game this way. To me, it, it goes back to the whole satisfactory of the ending of a season in the sense of, did they narratively during the season earn this earn this this ending in a way? You know, not 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 Fabio personally, but the show in setting up this win, right? Whether showing how Fabio won or how someone lost. And sort of sprinkling this narrative along the way, was it a fun story to follow, you know, all the way through? And it's like when we sort of have these muddied endings where you're like, oh, that guy won, you know, and then someone has to go, no, well, if you look at this one moment from episode four that was like, you know, buried in the background, you could see this. And it's like, is that good storytelling? Is that is is that what what we have to do? So a lot of times when you say this is this person is a good isn't a good winner, you know, there could be some value judgments on, well, well, I would play the game this way. But for me, it's. You know, was it was it a storyline you could follow? Yeah. And did it all make sense? Yeah, and I think in Nicaragua. The question is question mark. Well, I think <laughs> that's the thing is that I think when you say good winner, you're more so saying good winner story, I, I think is what it is, because I think, Mario, mm-hmm. the, the drum that you always beat, right, is that we do not truly know what happened out there. We are given a bite sized package each and every week. And so I think. Whether you say good player, bad player, good winner, bad winner, what's always sort of parenthetical to it is based on the edit. So it really just ties into, was this a good storyline for the winner? Was this a not-so-good storyline for the winner? I mean, again, I'll say that I think at the time, they truly didn't know how to edit this Fabio type of thing. Compare this to nine seasons from now, we're going to get Mike Holloway who does sort of what Fabio does. He, I think he, he had some maybe more of a say over those votes in the end, but he wins his way out, and they swing in the complete other direction. It becomes the Mike Holloway show for the last few episodes. And so I do think it's just a matter of 
one of the reasons why not a lot of regard is given to Fabio is because the narrative around how he wins is not strong, especially compared to, again, a lot of other people, including one who's going to go in this very episode. But as time goes on, and to Paul's point, as, you know, different types of gameplay invoke different types of winning styles, the editorial staff is then going to say, okay, now let's try to figure out how we can work this narrative to say it's an unconventional win, but it's edited conventionally. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything all you guys are saying. I'm just trying to provide different perspectives, just because I've seen this in the Survivor fan base over the past five, ten years, where there are certain winners that if you like them, you kind of get shamed for liking them because they weren't strategic. It's not their story. And I know there's a lot of Fabio fans out there, and I know they kind of feel like redheaded stepchildren among Survivor fans because, like, they'll get made fun of because they like Fabio as a winner. And I just want to say something that can kind of back up people's belief that really like Fabio and really wish he would have been on Winners at War and, and really think he should be remembered better in the Survivor community. There's a scene in the finale where Nayanka, I think it's the, the final tribal council, where Nayanka is grilling Fabio and got some questions and she said you know you know you saw your mom or you didn't get a chance to see your mom what was that like and Fabio gives one of the most impassioned speeches I have ever heard on Survivor about how much he loves his mom how he never sees her how this was his big chance to you know spend some time with her they live in different states and he's like you know man I would have given you that same opportunity I cannot believe you didn't give that to me we talked about this you know this hurt me I love my mom and it's such a nice speech and it makes Nayanka cry I got to point that out. He makes fucking Nayanka mix and cry. And I cannot imagine somebody could not watch that scene and think, I want Fabio to be happy. I would like that guy to be happy. He seems very genuine, very nice, sincere. I like when good things happen to nice people. And again, this could just be me. I'm kind of a storyteller at heart. I'm kind of sensitive. I try to hide that. But I'm very attuned to emotions and stuff and stories and good things happening to good people and stuff. But that's why I will always argue that Fabio is one of the greatest winners because of his charisma and charm. And you watch that finale and you, almost every single person watching would have to think, I want this person to be happy. I would like to see them have joy on TV. And so, like, I think that's a very underrated thing to happen in Survivor. And I think it gets a lot lost a lot among the people that only watch it for strategy. And I just wanted to say that to people who like Fabio out there and do not like admitting it because they get made fun of. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's also a facet of Survivor that is still tough to personify these days. It's the social game. And it's still really tough to show, right? Like, you can show conversations that people are having, but because the game is so strategy-focused, at least from an editorial perspective, it, it's confusing. And so when you have people like a Fabio, again, like a Michelle Fitzgerald win, and they say, oh, it's because of their social game, you're like, where is it? I didn't mm -hmm. see it this entire time. In retrospect, maybe you throw in some more content of people being like, you know what, I really like Fabio. That's why I want to keep him around over Benry, etc. Because that's a huge reason behind each and every vote that happens in the game. People talk about strategy versus social. For the vast majority of the time, they are one and the same. You make a lot of strategic decisions based on who you like, who you don't like, which stems from a social perspective. And I think Fabio had that on lock that was personified in that final answer. Like you mentioned, he made people cry when he's sitting next to the guy who tragically lost his father and would spend a tenth of the money on a cancer research foundation. <laughs> Fabio was the one to make them cry. That shows a social game. Unfortunately, still in Survivor, a social game is still like 
uh, an enigma. It's a puzzle box that they're still trying to unlock at this point. And and I think that uh, uh, a word that springs to mind for me is the word investment. And and I think what I mean by that is audience investment in the sense of it's just like when we say we, we like a good story and not like a good story. You can sort of ask a Mario question on this. Was, well, what makes a good story in Survivor? What doesn't make a good story? Why was Fabio's not a good story? And why was, you know, uh, someone else's a, a better story? And, and you can kind of. Uh, ask these questions, but I think a lot of that just deals with the fact that we are the audience, and maybe what we are being shown in these uh, 13, 14, 43-minute episodes that we get uh, of Survivor in a season isn't actually what's going out there on the island, and that could be a problem. It could not be a problem based on the edit, but a lot of times it's more of a problem that we don't know, because if you have something especially like this season, we have already highlighted by the way, we are only on the reward challenge of the first episode. We're like an hour in. So, you know, <laughs> typical historians here. But, um, uh, you know, we, we've, we've talked about how Nayanka was super liked out there, but she's presented as a villain. You know, Jane is presented as a hero, but she wasn't as liked out there. And they're talking about these, these things that, that they're showing us versus what's actually happening. And sometimes you can get away with things like that and everything lines up. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily line up. And where it goes wrong is in places like this, where as an audience member, we're not we're not seeing the things that that should be seen that help everything sort of contextualize and make sense. And because of that, we're not as invested in it. And so, you know, when 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 we say Fabio has this great social game, there are these points like in his final speech and like in other things where you see it a little bit. But it's not really being highlighted. It's not being shown in a lot of other things. And because of that, we don't have investment in that. And as an audience, that's the whole thing. You know, we see, you know, uh, uh, you know, we see Kim Spradlin march through the game and we see kind of her thoughts all the way through. And so everything that sort of happens, you understand and you're with it. And, and yeah, it's a different story and a different season and all that sort of stuff. But I think that, you know, that's something that translated and we get invested in what she's doing in her story as as opposed to Fabio, where we're watching other things and they're saying, yeah, this thing looks like this, but look over here. And it, it, it's it's not having us invested in the right people or the right things. Yeah. And I think you're right, although. The one thing I want to just clarify on that is that you use the word social game when that gets thrown around all the time on message boards. But I think a more accurate term to this use there would be charisma. Mm. It's not necessarily a game. It's just that people like you. And the one thing I always want to bring up is the very last final tribal council when Marty comes up there to just scream at the final three. And Marty's like, Chase, you're dumb as a bag of hammers. You're a moron. Sash, you're slimy. You're sleazy. I hate you. You suck. And what does Marty say to Fabio? dude and fabio goes dude and they just start laughing like if you can win marty over what kind of charisma must a person have if you could get marty of all people to do that yeah i think that, i think that's actually a great way to boil it down because i think as well people come in like oh i'm gonna play the social game i'm gonna connect with people on this this and this and i think the unfair thing about survivor is some people are just more naturally adept to it because they have really good charisma uh, and I know that, like, that's something that has been said about Fabio uh, as well. You know, that, that he's someone that when you talk to him, you're just, you're just smiling from ear to ear. And, yeah, considering that Marty, who was personified as such a big gamer throughout his entire time, instead of voting for, you know, two people that maybe arguably had, quote-unquote, more control over that endgame, instead votes for Fabio saying, dude, along the way, shows that charisma often wins out over strategy. 
Yeah. And to Jay's point, we are way behind on this podcast. So I'm going to skip through almost the entire rest of this episode. Let me sum it up for people. So they put together this counter alliance to take out Brenda and they make the mistake of telling Chase and Chase goes right to Brenda because he's his little, his little white knight. He's going to save her. And they're all like, what the F is wrong with Chase? Why does he do this every time? And you'll hear this over and over. Why is Chase so stupid? And with that, we'll race through this episode. And it's just, it's just, again, Brenda not scrambling, Chase giving away their plans, Brenda knowing she's going home, not doing anything about it. And I don't think there's anything else in this episode other than Jane wins immunity. It's one of these things where you hold onto a rope and try not to fall in the water. Jane wins immunity. <laughs> it's a good thing she picks up dogs. <laughs> oh, 80-pound dogs. Did you hear about it? I heard she yeah. mentioned it once. To, to cut their toenails. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh... <laughs> So, yeah, and uh, although the, the only other thing that happens in this episode is where Nayanka says that Chase is pissing her off to the highest point of pistivity, which I think that's a great quote. Also, there's there's a fun moment at Tribal Council where, again, they're really going to start revving the engines up against Purple Kelly with Jeff. I can't tell if this is sarcastic or sincere, saying, Purple Kelly, weigh in on this. Give us 20 <laughs> years of wisdom. Yeah, okay, to sum this up to, to that's, just save that's, time. That's sarcastic, by the way, Mike. <laughs> So yeah, Brenda, so Brenda knows she's going home. We've decided 20 minutes into the episode, Brenda's going home. Chase tells her she does nothing. She's like, you know, the queen doesn't scramble. It makes you look weak if you scramble. So it's a very anticlimactic episode. We go to tribal council and Brenda hopes she's going to get her, her immunity idol from Sash. He never gives it to her, which will come back against him later. One strike against Sash. And yeah, like you said, the only thing that really happens at tribal council is Brenda calls out Nayanka for being a horrible person to go against her friend. And she calls out, uh, who else? She called out a bunch of people, and then this is where Probes goes to Purple Kelly, who, again, we have never heard Purple Kelly talk at Tribal Council at any point this season. And out of nowhere, Probes is just like, hey, stupid blonde girl, why don't you weigh in with your 20 years of wisdom? And Kelly gives this terrible answer, just meandering. And, like, that shouldn't have been left in the episode. It's only there to embarrass Purple Kelly, and we'll talk about this more later. Yeah, and then it's also be noted, though, that, you know, she's not the only one to earn Jeff's ire. Again, a lot of Jeff editorializing. We're going to get to the, the mom impression of it all at the final six. But here, he straight up asks Brenda, like, are you too proud to scramble? And that just feels so distinctly different to me. Maybe we got a little bit of that probes in the previous season, right, with him being to, hey, you voted off Tyson and you voted off Boston Rob. Why didn't you vote off Courtney, essentially? But Jeff flat out saying to Brenda, like, you should be scrambling right now, and you aren't, and I don't understand why. Is is a, it's, just, it's a, a unique change in behavior for him. Mm -hmm. But again, she doesn't scramble. She kind of goes out very meekly for arguably the biggest character of the season. You can make the argument Brenda is the big character of the season. She goes out an eight-to-one-to-one to one vote, and the only person who doesn't know what's going on is Purple Kelly, which will compound into this next episode one of the reasons why she quits i think but yeah with that we lose brenda the whole coup d'etat has worked nayanka the big swing boat has turned against her best friend and we lose brenda and i'd argue the season really kind of ends here because all this episode leads into the double quit which kind of collapses the narrative yeah, I would say maybe the double quit is sort of like the climax because that's when, like, the the air really gets leaked out of the season uh, because then you wonder, at least after this Brenda episode, right, like, okay, now anyone can go considering that Brenda was just on top of the game. But then when Nayanka and Purple Kelly quit, as much as it was losing two allies for Sash, it really just fortifies that foursome of Jane, Holly, Chase, and, uh, and Sash to say, okay, yeah, we're just going to, you know, run the game the rest of the way. 
What I will say about Brenda is that I remember when she came back for Kara Moen, you know, I and I think a lot of fans were excited because, again, this was someone who maybe had a lot of potential who maybe got robbed. You know, she ends up going out on day 27 here uh, in, in 10th place, yet still has such a profound effect on the season. And then I remember at the end of Kara Moen being like, oh, my God, Brenda is such a mean girl. Where the hell did all this come from? But now watching back in Nicaragua, you absolutely track where that comes from. <laughs> Just like considering how, for lack of a better term, mean she is. I know that we, we, we throw that onto Nayanka, but like Brenda's pretty damn mean as well. I think she, she masks maybe under that smile to come across more as snarky than mean. But I mean, I would say I could see how she ends up becoming that person who in her final episode of Survivor is going to tell a grown woman to take out her teeth to embarrass her at the final tribal council. Yeah, I was going to say, I always found it surprising that Brenda was not really as popular as, like, Parvati. And admittedly, Parvati won, and people are results-based. They love Parvati because she won. But, like, young, snarky, kind of flirty, but kind of a mean girl, too. Like, they're not that dissimilar in their archetype. But, you know, Brenda didn't win fan favorite for this season. She lost to Jane, of all people. Like, I'm always surprised Brenda was not a little more popular than she was. She should have been. Well, she Wait, gets once... popular. Like, like she's she may be not like a, a commenting on the Survivor Facebook popular, but I mean, you have to say like on sucks and, and other places like that. There's definite there's definite yeah. corners that where Brenda stands. Like, absolutely. I agree, but again, she didn't win fan favor, which surprised me. I don't think she was really even in the running. Well, I don't think I think the fact that the fan favorite voting opened when Jane got booted in this huge uh. episode. So much like that's going to happen actually in Brenda's second season, right? Where she was purple Kelly for the entirety of the season. She gets so much around her boot episode in Survivor Caramoan, which happened to be when the fan favorite voting opened and she doesn't mm. win, but she comes in second place to Malcolm. And apparently it was pretty damn close. Okay. I know, Paul, you were going to say something. Yeah, it's. Uh, I have no other place to insert the story, but I haven't told it before about Brenda. Um, so now seems like the good time to do it. But my sister-in-law, Martha, and fellow podcaster, was studying abroad a couple years ago, was with her friend in Italy. They were at the Statue of David, and a woman came up to her and said, Hi, could you take my picture for me? And uh, Martha was like, How do I know this voice? <laughs> Took the picture, and as they walked away, she went, Was that Brenda? And then she went and looked up on Instagram. She was also in uh, uh, Italy at that same time, so she took a she took a, a Brenda's picture at the Statue of David. Wow! Did she make Martha take her teeth out? <laughs> right. That's that's what we always joked about. How they should have exchanged that. Uh, she should have made Brenda take her her teeth out to take the picture. For that one day, Martha was a lowly peasant when she got to take the right. queen's photo. <laughs> right. Yeah, but again, there's no way around it. Brenda was a huge character in the season, and so much of the narrative revolved around her. And it's really a crushing blow to lose her right after Marty, and we're going to lose Nayanka next. And like, again, I cannot say enough about how much that murders the narrative of the season because there's nowhere left for it to go. So I have nothing bad to say about Brenda in the season. I think she was really great, and I she probably should have lasted longer. But again, sometimes the the queen has to fall for the story to move, and I guess she's kind of like you know Amy and Vanuatu. She has has to be removed for the rest of the story to go to the next place and so so good on brenda she did a good job this season yeah and and let's let's start transitioning to the next episode but i think you know mario you've hit on this thing and you've said it several times today when you said that we as as a fan base as as people who watch the show with char characters you know we lose marty and then we're going to lose you know we lose brenda and then we lose Nayanka. we lose sort of these humongous characters 
all at once, right? And like mm-hmm. sometimes in a survivor season that happens, you know, the dominoes fall and that's sort of how they fall and and you sort of have to sort of deal with it. But I think that because Nayanka quits here along with Purple Kelly, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think it, it's all a matter of like how survivor portrays quitting. Like they never portray it in a positive light. And I'm not necessarily saying that they have to. I guess the one that you can say is maybe when Jenna leaves Survivor All-Stars to go be with her mother, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like super understandable, right? But, uh, you know, for the most part, they they treat people as quitting. Like, you know, and everyone sort of looks back on it. You know, just as we look back on, you know, Jerry maybe not have been that as big a villain as maybe it was let out to be, but Survivor was a huger thing. Austin's quit in Pearl Islands, not that huge, right? He was not a big influential character. You can say that his quit, you know, maybe shakes up tribe dy- dynamics in the future, but it's pretty early in the game. And they portrayed him in such a bad light, probably because he was the first person to do this. And they wanted to sort of discourage it, right? But then Janu quits in Palau, and it really sort of has no effect on the game whatsoever because it's all Karor and all this sort of stuff. And so they're like, Janu quit. And it's like, nobody cares. And, you know, they they showed her, but they also showed this, like, her having a catharsis on the Exile (laughs) Island, you know? So, like, they have all this, like, stuff happening, right? But it's like, Nayanka in Purple Kelly's quit. Not only does it take Nayanka, one of the hugest characters of the season, out of the show, but... This is late enough into the game where two people from the similar alliances lifting themselves out of the game turns this game on its entire head, and I don't think they're going to forgive them for that. Oh, yeah. Probst is so mad in this episode, you can just tell. I mean, opening there, okay, let's go into this. So Brenda leaves. Next episode is the recap episode, which I've never watched. I don't know if anything's in there. The unique thing is, first off, they've sort of, they've continued the trend that they've done in the past couple of recap episodes where with only showing new scenes and not like, they actually do the whole recap in the first like five minutes of the episode and the rest is just all secret scenes. But I think a new thing that they do, because we're only going to get one more recap episode after this for South Pacific and then that's it because then Survivor's going to be like, yeah, we'll air on Thanksgiving. Who cares? But... They decide to specifically focus the recap episode on the perspectives of the final nine, which I find incredibly unique. Like, even Purple Kelly, granted, it's slander, but it's still like, okay, and this is what Purple Kelly was thinking. This is a scene dedicated to her perspective. It's a really interesting way of looking at things, sort of like akin to what they did in Gabon, and maybe speaks to just how weird this endgame cast is. But then they decide, just due to timing... To have this linked between the Brenda episode and then this huge, like, the event of this season, which is the double quit, is just, it's it's very unfortunate. When you're like, here's everything that's happened to our final nine so far, and two will leave immediately after this <laughs> next episode. I've never watched the recap, but I sure hope, Mike, you can clarify this for me. I sure hope they focused on the scene where Jimmy Johnson gives a pep talk to Holly and she stays. Uh, they do mention that in the beginning, uh, but no, we we do get plenty more Jimmy Johnson though in there, right? Because they got like milk the the nine days that we got out of it. But there's some more purple Kelly shade here because they did a next time on in the mm-hmm. recap episode, and this is also inf- infamous. Uh, and purple Kelly has something to say, and then it cuts to her crying in confessional. So again, <laughs> if you want a precursor as to what the show thought about purple Kelly, even leading into her quit, look at that next time on right there. <laughs> Okay, let's get to the double quit. And this is really the last, I would argue, the last interesting episode of the season. I got lots going to happen. I'm going to spend a lot of time on this one. So we start right off the bat. And I have said before that Probst is really going for an Emmy in this season. He's getting really invested in these narratives, how much he can throw in there in the narratives at the start in the uh, previously on Survivor. This one takes the cake, though. I mean, this one, oh, my God, this one. 
a month in Nicaragua had made one thing clear. This was no place for the weak. And they cut to like Purple Kelly and Nayanka. And now we cut to, uh, this is really important. I circled this in my notes. I have to mention this. That he says, uh, you know, people have threatened to quit before in the past. And we see the scene from earlier in the season where Nayanka says, my, my, you know, my bones are cold. I'm anemic. I'm freezing. And Chase is hugging her, trying to get her to stay. And now they show a second scene where Purple Kelly says, I just feel like I want to quit. I want to leave. And it's so hard. And this is where I want to point out how unfair the show is at times. They say, we've seen people want to quit in the past. And they show that scene. We never saw that scene before. That's a new scene to us. Now they're inventing this narrative that Purple Kelly has threatened to quit before that we have no backstory on. Yeah, and so that's that, always fucking pissed me off. So that was from the recap episode. Uh, yeah. There was a scene where Purple Kelly was talking about how she was struggling to stay warm. Uh, you have Nayanka, of all people, being like, I want to keep her resolve up because she's an important ally. And then it cuts to Benry calling Purple Kelly a huge waste of space. And if you want to know what perspective the show's going to take between those two when it comes to treating these quitters, uh, the show's going to be the Benry in that situation. Well, and and they'll do this too. I think it's in the next episode. Is it in the recap where they talk about Sash and how he had Kelly Kelly Purple in his back pocket? She did anything he told her to do, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like, did, were we really shown that? Yeah, like, and, no, and I mean, pre- we were aligned, previous... but they they never really highlighted that. The previous one in this episode said, "Oh, yep. Purple Kelly is only staying because she's blindly loyal to Sash and Brenda." Oh, right. That's yeah. that's why she that's hasn't it. quit yet. Yeah. That's maybe in Survivor history my all time biggest fuck you Jeff Probst moment right there that sentence purple Kelly wanted purple kelly wanted to quit but she only stayed because she was blindly obedient to tribe leaders brenda and sash now that is a lot of editorializing right there all right do we start talking about purple kelly or do we go through the episode and then let's let's do the thing let's let, I, I i just want to get to dan limbo in a chair can we just get to dan limbo in a chair <laughs> oh yeah that's this okay. episode is dan limbo in a chair in gulliver's travels Okay, well, I'll get right to it. Okay, we, the start of the episode is Purple Kelly just being shocked that she didn't know Brenda was going last night. And she's all, she's like, this is the first time all game. I didn't know what was going on, blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, what's happened? Nayanka feels bad. She turned on Brenda. Holly persuades her. Oh, Nayanka, don't feel bad. You had to vote out Brenda. And I think now we go to the, now we go to like the big storm. The big storm hits. The rains are coming down. They Again, they have no tarp. It burned down last episode. They're all freezing and huddling up. Nayanka and Purple Kelly are there. And again, Purple Kelly has no clothes. We'll talk about that later. That's why she's so cold. And now we go into the big reward challenge. And so if we talked last episode about how the outcome was already determined at 20 minutes into the episode, the outcome here is already determined like eight minutes into the episode, right? Like we get the storm coming. Fabio and Benry outright say, oh, yeah, Nayanka and Purple Kelly are going to quit. And we have mm-hmm. Nayanka giving Chase her idol at this moment, feeling like her heart's not in the game. So, again, you know, we're going to go through this pomp and circumstance, right, where Jeff's like, how dare you quit? We're going to have a special impromptu tribal council tonight, and we're going to, you know, go through all the, the rigmarole of it. But it, the, the writing's on the wall from the get-go right here with everyone yeah. saying, oh, yeah, Nanka and Purple Kelly are going to quit. They're going to have the afternoon to decide it, but nothing's really going to change here. Yeah. 30 minutes left to go in the episode. Okay. So we go to the reward challenge. This is the famous Gulliver's Travels uh, reward challenge where the winner gets a screening of a new shitty movie nobody's ever going to watch, Gulliver's Travels, which will will become a – this is the first time that happens in Survivor, right? Yeah, but they only do it twice, right? It's this and Jack and Jill, and I think they stopped doing the tie-in movie rewards after this. How dare you gloss over, I just want to watch Treasure Island. Well, yeah, but that's not a, a, an in-release 
no in theaters release, right? Like Paul knows right, this, that's, is a, this is this that's, is ver- that's the that's the genesis. Of, I think of this. No, idea well, out of it. Africa, I think was the genesis, right? Oh, oh out of Africa, that's right. Yeah, Lord uh, of the Flies in All Stars. Yeah, but I think wow. Paul Paul would know. Like this is a very much a Big Brother thing, right? Especially from those teen years <laughs> yeah. of like, oh, you For watch long, what what many, happens many in years. Vegas or watch the newest episode of MacGyver as a reward. Which okay, I would let's say go de- back. To- definitely, if Survivor steals something from Big Brother, that's usually a good thing. I was gonna say episode one, they watch their own show. Kelly gets to watch the first couple minutes of Borneo. So, I guess there was a precedent. Although it was really in poor taste in Game Changers when they watched The Crying Game. That was a terrible choice. I really didn't think the producers thought that one out. Okay, so anyway, uh, we're going to watch Gulliver's Travels. And I love probes here. He has to sell this movie to people where he's like, (laughs) at the start of the challenge, he's like, the theme of this movie, Gulliver's Travels, is it doesn't matter how big you are on the outside. It's how big you are on the inside. And can you finish this game? Is that really the theme of Gulliver's Travels? Well, well and I like how Ben Reese's later on that the the movie was very relative <laughs> to what they were going through. <laughs> no, Barry, that's Jack and Jill. That's two seasons from now. It's very relative. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, they have to drag this big old chewy gal looking dummy around an entire Shout obstacle. Shout out to place. Chewy Gal. Chewy Gal, that's right, the original. Yeah, but they don't even yeah. get, get to go around the island this time. That's the other thing is that the the tough thing about the end game of Nicaragua in particular is we talked about this in the first episode that because of apparently the the, the like the water was really bad, the the surf was very raging, they couldn't do any water challenges. You really feel it in this backstretch, right? It feels like they just take up the same patch of mud and trot out these challenges that take up maybe a hundred square feet, and we have it here where they have to like drag this dummy while tethered together through this obstacle course while Dan Lembo sits in a giant chair. <laughs> There's one part in this challenge that always makes me laugh, and I've completely forgot to mention on the Funny 115, where at one point in the challenge, they're dragging these dummies through a big bag, a big pile of straw. And Probst is like, that's what I'm talking about here. Like what, dragging dummies through a straw? That's what you've been talking about when Survivor all these years? He gets really excited over a very benign moment in a challenge. I always thought that, that made me laugh. So, so you know, this is this whole thing is is after Gulliver's Travels, which was, which was a movie that came out inexplicably, based on the old, very very old novel, uh, Gulliver's Travels, right? You know, and the whole thing is, is that Gulliver goes, you know, and he's he finds himself in Lilliput, which you know are people that are much 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 smaller than him in in ratio. He's like a giant to them, and so they're playing with the theme of the movie, and so that's why they're dragging just this gigantic dummy through all of the obstacles because they're the Lilliputians and that's the Gulliver. And to do with this, they have a schoolyard pick them to pick the teams, which is, you know, you know, the, the Nyanka Benry team wins and all that sort of stuff. But because there's an odd number of people, one person is going to be left out and it's Dan Lembo. Of course it is. Right. And so Dan gets the unique opportunity to basically pick who he thinks is going to win. And if they win, he gets to share in the reward with them. But for Dan Lembo, he doesn't get to sit on a bench. He doesn't get to sit on the sideline. They bring out this Gulliver chair, which is just this, like, gigantic, not-in-proportion chair that I guess Gulliver would sit in. But it's also just for the fact that Dan is um, not the tallest person in nature himself. And so 
it's just Dan on this gigantic chair, which, I mean, Survivor Sucks just had a field day with this. <laughs> I mean, this is arguably the like the biggest impact Dan Lembo has on the season, right? It's this and the alligator shoes is this image of Dan Lembo not only sitting in the chair, but dangling his leg yeah, like dangling my two-year-old <laughs> child at the doctor's office, you know, just being like, waiting for someone. It's especially fun because they never introduced that chair earlier in the challenge. It's just all of a sudden there. Like, it's it, just it, there. Yeah, theoretically, it should have been there as part of the movie tie, and we never saw it. Just all of a sudden, there's a random shot of Jan- Dan in a giant chair. Although, this does beg the question. That chair is like, what, 15, 12, 15 feet off the ground? How the fuck did Dan get up there? Well, I think it's like when they do that challenge, you know, when you hold on to the pole, like they used a ladder and then like someone took it away, which it also feels very cruel because I don't don't know how Dan got down after that. I like to think they used a trebuchet or something to get him up there, just launch him. I don't know. But yeah, it always makes me wonder, how did they get crippled, hobbled Dan up that thing into that giant chair? Anyway, yeah, wonderful image. Uh, One of the most iconic images of this era of Survivor. People always love posting it on Survivor Sucks. I would imagine on Reddit it's still very popular. I used it on the Funny 115. It's a wonderful image of Dan in the chair kicking his legs like a little schoolchild. So, of course, naturally, the thing that you do when you win a reward challenge is then you announce you're going to quit, right? (laughs) Yes. Okay. So they've spent they've spent the entire challenge dragging this big dummy, who, in the words of Clay Jordan, is big as your ass, around the uh, the, uh, the the obstacle course. Then Nayanka, Chase, Holly, and Ben Ray win, and this is immediately where Jeff says, "All right, winners get to go to see this movie and get their movie theater." And this is where Nayanka chooses to announce that she's going to quit, even though she just won the reward. So. Let's talk about this because, you know, there's a lot of talk, right, about how Jeff, especially in an EP role, despite him maybe presenting the fact of I have no idea what's going on, uh, talk to me about it at Tribal Council, like, he definitely has a sense as to what's going on. Do you think he knew that both Nayanka and Purple Kelly were going to quit? Because it did feel a little suspect to me that Nayanka makes this announcement, which you could say is prompted or not, but then it gets teed up. By Jeff saying, does anyone else want to quit? And then Purple yeah. Kelly raises her hand, which I feel like ordinarily he wouldn't necessarily do. Yeah, I think that was all staged for the cameras. I think that was 100%. He knew it was coming, and he's trying to make a big TV moment out of it. I wouldn't be surprised if Purple Kelly started speaking up right when Nayanka's speaking, and they made maybe stop filming and said, okay, start this over, and then I'll set it up so you can say after. But that's how it, it seems way too perfect. So then to that point, do you think Nay volunteered this information or do you think it was like a producer saying, okay, if you want to quit, like, why don't you wait until the end of the reward challenge and then depending on what happens, make your announcement? Yeah, I don't know enough about to know how that or when that happened. But yeah, clearly there's this information being passed to the producer from the players to the producers that players are going to quit and it all kind of comes to a head here. Again, I don't know the backstory. I've never really heard about it. But yeah, it's really uh, convenient the way it all plays out on TV. So we get to talk about the quit here, although this isn't technically the quit. The quit is technically later at Tribal Council, but this is the first time they state their intentions. And Nayanka speaks first, says, basically, I'm done. It's cold. My bones are freezing up. I can't handle this anymore. And then Probe says, really, anybody else want to quit? And Purple Kelly's like, um, yeah. And he's like, what? Purple Kelly, you too? And then he goes on the speech. This is the speech. And again, there's so much propaganda in this episode in particular because Again, the big picture, we don't want players to quit in the future. You have to know there's a stigma. And again, in the producer's defense, I don't really like the Survivor producers a lot of the time, but in their defense, 
this very much hurts their product because it kills their storyline. They've spent 10 episodes trying to build up. So Probst gives the speech, which I think is he's in his right to say here. He says, you're this close to the end to be able to say I did it. And you're this close to being one of those others, the quitters who no one remembers. Think about it. And so that's really that's really the the guilt trip is trying to lay on them to make them think about this from a bigger perspective. Although there's a second part to this I forgot, where Nayanka has the opportunity to give up the reward and give tarp and rice to her tribe, and she doesn't take it. Yeah, so that's the thing as well. Is like I think you could, and there certainly has been, especially as of late, like maybe not maybe defense of Nayanka or especially you know of the situation that she was in. But then her doing this is, I wouldn't say indefensible, but it's not exactly great <laughs> to be yeah. like, well, I'm quitting tonight, but I'm still going to get my damn hot dog and my Jack Black movie. I can't deprive <laughs> myself of that. Yeah, let's it, let's put ourselves in. OK, let Jay talk, but I want to put ourselves in Nayanka's mindset after whatever you have to say. I mean, that's also the other thing is, is I would say, you know, again, if they're quitting and we're going to talk about. Nayanka and Purple Kelly and, and the conditions that they've been put through. And I think maybe you mentioned it on your Survivor Funny 115 and whatnot, Mario. But, uh, you know, if they're truly at wit's end as far as starvation and cold and, and all of that sort of stuff, and I'm quitting the game anyway, like, I'm out. I want my hot dog before I leave. Like, I know that you can sit there and say, well, you're going to go to tribal council tonight, and then you're going to quit, and you're going to go back to Ponderosa, and you can eat a hot dog. But it's like, Dude, who knows what's going to happen then? I have a hot dog in front of me now. Yeah, and I've always defended Nayanka a little bit. Like, it's selfish what she does, but I can see why, what her argument is. And she says the same thing. She's like, you know, I worked hard. I just busted my butt in one of the hardest challenges we ever did. I was probably the star of that challenge. I'm going on the damn reward. They're offering me this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I'm going to take it. So, and her perspective is, I'm not giving it up. I'm no fool. Well, I don't so think... Like, I think what, what doesn't help, though is that they give her a ramp. They give her an off-ramp by saying, hey, you can give up the reward, and I'll give you... The, we're going Australia-style. Here's some rice. Here's a tarp. If you just sit out of the challenge, if you do this one thing, like, hey, if you happen to be leaving tonight and you want to <laughs> give other people something, you can do it right now, and that bait does not get taken. And I... I but here's, but here, but but here's she doesn't counter. get that. Yeah, you're saying they gave her an off-ramp, but, you know, again, do you, if, if Nayanka takes that off-ramp, do you think that, that the Survivor editors are then going to, like, excuse her, her quit? I mean, no, but I also think at no. the same time, like, but I think... Because, 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 because what does she have to gain for that, right? Like, she's not getting a jury vote, you know, or, or something like that. Like, she literally has no... No more investment in this game. She's done, right? So you're saying, oh, well, the producers are giving her an out. For what? They're going to lambast her in the edit because she quit anyway. But she's not thinking that, I don't think. I don't think she's thinking on a well, meta do you level. Think, do you think then, that, then she's thinking, wow, they're giving me an out and I really need to do that so that my edit is better? <laughs> no, I just – I let me clarify here. I think what Nayanka does is absolutely in character for Nayanka, the person who shoved a girl with one leg out of the way again, an idol clue. I think there are a lot of other people that would that have vocalized that they would do something different. I think what is set up for her is a moral quandary that many people wouldn't take. She ends up taking or not taking in a certain regard, and that's what makes Nayanka Nayanka, for better or for worse. I got to throw something in here because I want to I want to completely challenge what Mike just said here. How is this much different than dreams? 
because Nyanka has said earlier in the season, I grew up in the hood. I didn't have much. Like, I got to fight for what I get. I get. She has said this. This is from her, her confessionals earlier in the okay, season. Okay, no, 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 no. A Jack Black movie and something. a hot dog is different than a car, Mario. I'm saying it's not different. I'm saying that, that people have said that about dreams. This is an argument we went into with dreams, that, that when you grow up with that mentality where you don't have a lot and you got to fight for everything, they present you with something, you take it. You don't pass it up because they, it's it's like a different mindset when you grow up in that background. So you can make the argument Nayanka has that. They're offering me this. I'm taking this. You're not taking it away from me. I'm not no idiot. Like, I can see that argument. What I'm saying, though, is that, like, this this is some this is a decision that they present here for someone to take, right? Like, the dreams yeah. discard decision. No one's like, okay, and remember, when you win the car, you can offer it to someone in exchange for immunity. No, they set this decision up for someone to take it. It just happens in this case that it's in the hands of someone who has that attitude of like, look, I've been give I've worked hard for this thing. I'm not going to give it away, which is absolutely fine, but is different from your usual survivor player. That is all that I'm saying. I agree. I'm just, I'm just going back to the thing where you said that's very much in character for someone who pushes someone with a leg with the, with the artificial leg, which I think is a cheap shot at Nayanka. Cause I think these are totally different things. Like, I agree with you almost everything you're saying, other than you bring in that, oh, she's a terrible person because she pushed Kelly. No, I'm so not saying she's a terrible choice. person. Yeah. I'm saying that goes along, though, with, like, she'll fight to get what she wants, right? She wanted the idol clue. She doesn't yeah. care what who you are. The, the, I, it's, it's a joke. I was making a, a tongue-in-cheek remark of the fact that she pushed Kelly Bruno down. I did not mean to say Nianka <laughs> Mixon is a terrible person. She is not. She has shown that she has the gumption to fight to get what she wants to, and that includes this decision point. I do not necessarily think that any of the other nine contestants, and we see this with Holly, would necessarily do the same thing, but that's what makes Nayanka a unique Survivor character. Yeah. See, the reason why your joke didn't land there, Mike, is because, uh, if I recollect, Kelly Bruno is young, and so her falling down isn't funny. Ah, yes. (laughs) No, it's just <laughs> that's good. It's just I just like defending Nayanka. I think she takes an inordinate amount of crap from the fan base, and I think Dreams used to too. And I think these two decisions are not that dissimilar. And I think it's kind of simplifying it, saying she's just doing it for a hot dog. She's not doing it for a hot dog. She's doing it for she gets an experience here. She's never going to get a chance to do this last reward while these people <laughs> watch a shitty movie. Like it's still, but it's still an experience. And she may not get something like that in her life. So I've always argued a little bit that I can defend Nayanka that this is more of a gray choice than people like to make it think it is. I'm going to say this here uh, because we're getting to the quit and all that sort of stuff. I mentioned earlier, those of you who actually, you know, pay attention to what I say, which is, you know, some of you and some of you don't. That's fine. Skip to when someone else is talking. But um, when I said the word investment, yes, there's investment as far as a storyline goes. But I think that that people who watch Survivor, especially the people who are the type of people to go on the internet and talk about Survivor either in a message board or, or get engrossed in the Rob has a podcast community or, or, or someone who, who, who wants to talk about Survivor for many, many more hours than the show is long. Hey, it's us. We have this podcast and we talk about Survivor for more hours than the show is. And, and, and that's okay. That's super great that, that, that there is this community that exists. But I think that when you have that community, the word investment becomes a different thing because for a lot of people who watch Survivor, they want themselves to be on Survivor. They imagine themselves being on Survivor. And so then they play this game with themselves of, of if I were on Survivor, what kind of player would I be? What kind of decisions would I make? And 
it's like anything. There's a very famous survey that was done. Well, not a very famous one, but there's a well-known survey, you know, in social psychology circles. And the survey asks Americans, really rate yourself as a driver on a scale of one to ten and then rate everybody else on the road as a driver on a scale of one to ten. And you'll notice that, like, on average, most Americans would put themselves at, like, a seven or an eight as far as driving ability, but put everybody else on the road at, like, a three or a two. You know what I mean? And, like, that's that can't be. If everybody's a seven or an eight, then why is why did, why is everybody else a two or a three, right? So the reality is, is that most people probably don't drive as well as they think they do. And and when people look at choices, like, you know, when you have video games where you can you can be a good character, an evil character, most people, when they play the game, for the most part, they choose uh, right decisions or what we consider morally good decisions or, or, you know, the light side of the forest as opposed to the dark side of the forest or something like that. And 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 they choose sort of these these uh, more noble sort of traits a lot of times when they play. Not everybody. There's examples. I, I get all that sort of thing. But I think that when people are like, well, if I were on Survivor, I would never quit because quitting is is not what I am about. And if I were given a decision for to give up my reward so that other people can go in the reward, I would do it because that would curry favor with everyone. And that's a good thing to do. And I think everyone always sort of places themselves in these decisions, whereas Nyanka made a decision that I think is super practical. Um, I, and again, would I do it? I don't know. I, I'm, I tend to be someone that just kind of goes, I don't know. I guess other people can have things. But, you know, th- that's that's neither here nor there. I think that Nyanka's decision was actually a very good decision here, A, to quit, and B, to take this reward and you know everyone's like oh that's so bad i you're on your way out you might as well give everyone the other thing and it's like why 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 is that a thing and would you do that you say you would do that but if you were out there on the island would you do it again seven eight two three are are you are you thinking you're going to do this and you would actually do it or are you saying you would do these things and then when you get out there and the whole reality of the situation the weather the starvation all of that sort of stuff hits you would you be making different decisions than you say you would when you're sitting on your couch watching the game yeah i personally think it's more interesting that she makes that decision because most people don't and i think that makes this more interesting I mean, I'm, again, I'm I'm agreeing, and that's why it's interesting, is because nobody else would make this decision except for Nayanka. They purposely cast A-type personalities on the show who say, you know, my way or the highway, I know the decisions that I should be making, for better or for worse. And so I, I right. think that, you know, the, that's the reason why it's such an interesting decision, and why also Holly and everyone else is so stringently saying... Oh, of course you have to take the deal. Again, it's such an interesting thing that you have people who are fundamentally stringently saying this is the right decision to make, but they're in complete opposite camps about it. Oh, yeah. And and very, very quickly, I have gone on record on this podcast in the past as saying I've had no aspirations of ever being on Survivor, which I know is weird for someone who is such a Survivor fan as I am. Um, And I've never applied. I've never dreamt of applying. And as you said, Mike, I would be an awful Survivor contestant. I would be literally the worst Survivor contestant ever. So they would never cast me because they're smarter than that. So <laughs> I don't know. You got that voice, though. I feel like no matter no matter what mistakes you make, that voice is just going to like lull the internet crowd into a, a nice decorum. Well, he could do the previous Leons. Okay. Um, although one thing that I think gets lost here, and we'll talk about this even more when we get to the quit at the end, where a lot of people say that's not what you do on Survivor. You do this. You take that deal. A lot of people forget Nayanka and Purple Kelly were not Survivor fans. 
They'd never really watched the show. They were both recruits. I don't think Purple Kelly had even ever seen it before. So, like, when you say, people say, oh, well, you have to take that deal in that situation. Well, if you respect Survivor and you like, you think of the prospect of this being on TV, sure. But that's not Nayanka's mindset. She doesn't wasn't a fan of this show. So I think that has to be factored in as well. So, and I think what also is going to really factor into this is that this quit is going to be a literal game changer, right? Jeff Probst in the reunion is going to say... Because of you two, now when you quit the game, besides being medevaced or any other circumstances like a Jenna's mom type of thing, basically we can determine what happens. Maybe you won't sit on the jury. And I just find it so interesting how much fervor was drawn to this event compared to Janu, which I'm so mm-hmm. glad that Jay mentioned before. Because Janu, they kept saying, you know, 28 days you two made it out here, only 11 days left. Janu quit on day 27. And maybe it's just due to where it fell in Survivor history. Maybe it's due to the circumstances. Maybe it's due to, we talked about this during Palau, whether or not production wanted Janu to quit to keep Stephanie in the game. But I I just find it really interesting to compare the way Janu's quit was sort of edited and perceived and the way this double quit was edited and perceived, given the fact that they were literally a day apart in the course of the game. (laughs) Okay, at the risk of uh, getting stuck here and not moving on, I will move on a little bit. So we go to the movie, and we get the iconic shot of everyone loves of Benry and Chase clinking hot dogs like champagne glasses, which I've always loved. Then they watch the movie, and the only thing we hear the entire time is, is Chase saying, Ha ha, Jack Black is so fat, which I is probably is not, I imagine, what the sponsors of the producers of the movie wanted when they had agreed to put it in the movie. But anyway... And then Nayanka says this movie puts it all into perspective for me, which I think we can all agree the movie Gulliver's Travels puts everything into perspective for all of us. Yeah, it's really relative. And um, I, uh, there's the only line we hear is he's so fat. And then also just <laughs> Jack Black, <laughs> like nothing else. Do you, think Chase, do you think Chase wrote a country song about Jack Black after this? Possibly. <laughs> that should have been the quote on the movie poster. Ha ha, Jack Black. So, so fat, Chase Rice, Survivor Nicaragua. <laughs> okay, and so I always forget there's no immunity challenge in this episode. We go right from this to the Tribal Council because it's already decided they're going to quit, and now we have to do it formally. And here we go. Now we get the fun part, the actual quit. And I will turn the floor over to Jay because I know Jay has a lot to say about this. I don't have a lot to say, and, I, and I've said some of the things that I'm going to say. But, Mario, you, I think you pointed this out on the Funny 115 in the sense of, you know, let's talk about Purple Kelly. Uh, more than anything else. Purple Kelly, you know, we have to remember that when when the castaways get dropped off on the island, it's production that chooses what wardrobe they wear these days. Um, you know, and, and that's why you see a lot of times, you know, when, when there's tribes, everyone's sort of wearing a shade of blue or a shade of red or a shade of yellow or some sort of shade of color because they just say, hey, bring a bunch of options of clothing in these things. And then production figures out what they want you to sort of look like, and they choose those pieces in the certain color for you and to go out there on the island. They did not give Kelly Purple a lot of clothes right off the bat. And then we talked about how harsh the weather conditions are. And so Purple Kelly is going to make it, what, what, 28 days here in Survivor? So she's going to make it four weeks, four weeks with literally no clothing in there on Survivor. And everyone, you know, you could say, well, other people didn't have much clothing either. Yeah, well, Purple Kelly had less. And so 
she had just absolute rough conditions. And I'm not saying like she should, you know, I'm so proud of her for quitting or, or, or any of these sorts of things, but I think you can sort of see where she's coming from. If you really mm-hmm. look at all of the situations that are there. Yeah. I, okay. Um, let me fill in a little more, a couple more details on that. See, it's even worse than what you just said. Oh, I know, so, but you know, yeah. <laughs> I, you, you, you're the details guy. You go. <laughs> oh, that's a new voice. We got to hear a new J voice. Exciting. Okay, so uh, so after the season ended, again, Purple Kelly became the biggest butt of every joke on the internet, probably to an extent even bigger than Amber in Australia, which is saying something. The Purple Kelly became the most made fun of Survivor probably in internet history. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's Survivor parlance now for people to ask, is someone being purpled, which is, uh, you know, vernacular for is someone getting basically like uh, no edit on the screen. Yeah, so... After the season ended, Jane from the season, Jane, the or I'm not sorry, Jill, Jill, the doctor posted on Survivor Sucks. She'd go on the message boards and she was a big fan and she talked to all the fans. And someone asked her once, what, what was the deal with Purple Kelly? Was she really that invisible and stupid? And Jill pointed out some really interesting details that had not been made public. And this has been pretty well known ever since. I wrote a big, funny 115 entry. If you want to read it, it's called The Quiet Adventures of Purple Kelly. And it's pretty much sums up everything I'm about to say. But. Purple Kelly had never seen Survivor. She had no interest in being on the show. They recruited her. They found her at some beach something. I don't know where they found her. And they said, hey, you want to be on the show? And she's like, no, nah, not really. And they're like, here's the deal. You'll probably get voted out early. And then you basically get a 36-day vacation. We pay for you, travel around the world, blah, blah, blah. It's an amazing experience. We just want you to be on TV because you're good looking. We think you'd be a good contestant. She's like, okay, sure. Again, she had no investment in this show. They invited her onto their show. So she gets there and they stay at the start. Uh, you don't get any clothes because your role is you're kind of a cute hot girl. We're going to put you in a sundress. We'll give you a swimsuit. That's it. That's all the clothes she was given compared to other people who got functional clothes because, again, she was not going to last long. They knew she had no interest in this game. She had no skill in it. She was invited. I, I keep using that word, invited onto the show. She gets there. She somehow inexplicably survives the first couple days, and then she gets into the power alliance because people like her. They invite her in. And so now she somehow makes it 28 days despite not really wanting to be there, didn't really want to be on the show in the first place, was really here for the vacation they promised her. She suffers. She, you know, cold, rainy. She's just suffering. She has no inclination to fight this at all. They have no clothes. She has no clothes. If you watch during the season, what she's wearing is Fabio's coat. Fabio always gives her his coat to wear because he felt bad for this poor girl that was just shivering. So she gets to the end of the game to day 28. She goes, I can't handle this anymore. I got to get out of here. And Propes goes on this tirade. You have no respect for this game. You call yourself Survivor fans. You quitters. And again, she didn't want to be there. They invited her and asked her. So when you look at it, it, I'm so much more sympathetic the more I heard about that story. And Jill was explaining the story and the other players have backed it up how, you know, she's the nicest person ever. I don't agree with the treatment they gave her on the show. They, you know, made her look like an idiot. I have heard, I have friends who are reality TV editors and they have said the same thing that, you know, I was in the editing bay for Survivor during Nicaragua. And, like, the editors were just openly laughing at her. They're like, how can we make her look stupid in this episode? They just wanted to make fun of her. They just didn't like her. They wanted to make, a, you know, an example out of her for future players. And my friend who's an editor is like, that's one of the problems when you have all male editors and all male producers working on the show. No one was sympathetic to this poor girl, what she went through. 
And they said that's one of the one of the, the reasons there's been this movement behind the scenes to kind of get more diversity in the Survivor production team. It kind of a lot of it goes back to Purple Kelly just got shit on, absolutely shit on for no reason. So I just want to point that out to people that I have stopped making fun of her over the years once I heard about that. And I I'm very sympathetic to her. I think what they they were really dirty what they did to her and Nayanka in a sense, because Nayanka was also a recruit, had never seen the show. They also brought her in, and then they, oh, you have no respect for our game. And she's like, bitch, I never had respect for this game. Why do you pretend I did? So anyway, I just, that's my soapbox. I think that's why, like, it's played for comedy, right? The whole, uh, Nayanka, what do you think we should do with your torch? Oh, what'd you do to theirs? They should be smuffed. Like, there's definitely some, some doinkiness to it, right? But... To your point, Mario, I think that legitimately is, like, a sincere answer, because Danka and Purple Kelly have not seen a lot of Survivor, let alone Survivor know, like, oh, yes, I remember when Austin's torch got laid down at Tribal mm-hmm. Council. Uh, so, like, of course they're going to say, oh, yeah, just like all the other ones. It's not them saying, well, we should be treated equally as if we're being voted out. It's sincerely them saying, like, oh, no, I'm, I guess you just do the, the same thing, right? I don't really know the show that well, so I'm assuming so. And also, yeah. who gives a shit what they do with the torch? Sorry, <laughs> this is coming from Survivor Historian Paul. Who the hell cares? Yeah, it's there's so much formality in the scene, and Jeff is so mad that traditions are being broken. But that's the one thing I always have to point out. These two don't even know what the traditions are. They don't care about this. This is only probes trying to do this for the, for the viewers, making them look especially bad. And that's one thing I've always been sympathetic towards them in this scene. Well, yeah, because then it also goes back it goes back to what Jay was saying before about the investment, right? Because you have Holly in particular, and I understand her perspective, right? Like, she went to this precipice earlier. She knows, like, you'll make a decision that you regret, but she's like, so many people have would kill for an opportunity to do this. And it's like, is that going to sway them at all? They don't <laughs> yeah. care. Yeah, Holly's like, I didn't quit. And Purple Kelly's like, I'm not invested in the show like you are. Oh Why my gosh, I forgot. Sad? This is that's, this is my favorite thing ever. So the last time when we have had podca- podcasted, uh, we talked about um, you know Holly's going to be be able to work with so many different people because of her diverse high school swim team in rural South Dakota. <laughs> yeah. And I love what she tells what she tells Kelly her this like really like, empowering story about my daughters. They wanted to quit cross country. And I told them, I said, no, you're not going to quit. You start something, you'll finish it. Dramatic pause. That year, they were state champions. And kind of walks away like, (laughs) mic drop. (laughs) Wow. Can't argue with that. Wow. Kelly could be the state champion of South Dakota. It is especially galling. And I know that we, the Survivor Historians, we have a little crow to eat in this as well. Because here's Paul saying, who cares what they do to our torch? We have literally sat here on this on this podcast and been like, oh, they don't really do rites of passage anymore. Oh, they don't do all these things that they used to do. And yeah, we we uh, we bemoaned the loss of these quote unquote tradition things that are in the show. But really, what that means is that it shows that these things were not necessarily sacred to the survivor uh, producers and and people who put on the game. Uh, so even though we're sitting here mourning it, it clearly wasn't that important to them. And so. And, and adding a hidden immunity idol, adding an exile island, adding all of these sort of twists and turns is showing that really the only thing that is kept the same for the show is a bunch of people, a remote location. You're going to vote in some weird way and someone's going to win a million dollars at the end. Like the rest of it is pretty much been chopped and changed 
a million times. And so because of that, because and Jeff Probst even told Beatles on Survivor Sucks that the product needs to change from time to time in order to survive. Hey, we can accept that. We cannot accept that. But then for Jeff Probst to go, how dare you, you know, besmirch the traditions of Survivor? What, Jeff? What? <laughs> yeah, well, and it's also it's, you know, again, you could really tell that they wanted to make this a spectacle due to the fact that they went to tribal council. And maybe it's because of the fact that it's a double quit, right? We've never gotten this and we'll never get this again with two people quitting at once. Uh, it's personified as, oh yeah, Purple Kelly's like, hey, Nayanka, you know, can I get a ride? Like, I hear you're hitching out of town anyway. You mind if I, if I split gas with you? But I think it's clear that both of them sort of had different reasons for going. But like every other time we've seen, you know, Jeff Probst is going to make the visit to camp. Now, maybe it's because after this, that does set that precedent of, like, we won't even go to tribal council. But again, it's, it's really unique that in this case, it's not, we already had our immunity challenge. Janu has this epiphany on Exile Island and now wants to quit. It's like, oh, you want to quit? Hold on. No more immunity challenge. We're going straight to tribal council tonight to, like, talk everything out, even though we know what the decision is going to be. Why? Because you know, they wouldn't have held that tribal council if they didn't know that these two were going to quit, or at least one of them was going to. Because mm -hmm. if you end the episode with them going to tribal council and them saying, no, we're good, that's an entire episode <laughs> wasted. It's a non-elimination episode of Survivor, which, what are you, Australian <laughs> Survivor now? Like, it makes no sense from a storytelling perspective. This was setting the stage for the outcome they knew it was going to happen. How dare you not have respect for the traditions of Survivor? Well, how about you invite people who know the traditions of Survivor? That's how I look at it at this point. So anyway. I, I think that that's another. And the final thing I want to say is that, you know, just as you pointed out several times, Purple Kelly was a recruit. And in, you know, a lot of Survivor message boards and stuff like that, you know, especially people who are very diehard Survivor fans who would, you know, give anything to be on the show you know, when they hear certain people are recruits, they all of a sudden have this negative connotation. And I think, again, it goes back to the investment. The reason is, is because these people probably have attended, you know, sent in an audition tape or gone to one of those survivor open casting calls or, or have, you know, sat there and tried to lobby, you know, put their audition tapes like on YouTube or, or, or tried to get themselves noticed to, to be on Survivor. And for some reason, well, for reasons, you know, that are, that are probably more obvious than not, they are not going to be on the show. And then you have Purple Kelly who didn't even know of Survivor and, and everything. And they were like, go be on the show. And she's like, okay, I guess. And I think that that infuriates some people because, you know, people, again, it's it's the product. They would like to be a part of this product in such a way. And then here's Purple Kelly who was a part of the product who doesn't, who, who could take it or leave it. And mm -hmm. I think that that is a problem that, that people have. Again, they're projecting their own sort of, viewpoints onto there but it's it's again i have to maybe give an analogy to sports again you know hey you know someone would give whatever they want to give to be in the nba but it's like i'm sorry you know for the most part you're just not big or strong enough like you you just don't have the physical attributes to be in the nba yes there have been people smaller in stature who have played basketball but they are the exception not the rule like you, you usually have to be x amount tall or x amount big or or all of these sorts of things in order to literally be considered to play the sport. And, you know, for some people, it's just not that way. And Survivor isn't necessarily like the NBA where you need to be, you know, 6'5 or whatever, you know, and all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, you know, 
Survivor is we've had, you know, 40 ish plus seasons. How many contestants have we had? Like 500 at this point, mm-hmm. 600. So contestants, that's not a lot of people. That doesn't even fill up a high school gym. There's not a lot of people that have played this game, you know, on camera in front of people. In There have been thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who have auditioned for the show. The amount of people who have auditioned for this show and made the show is super, super tiny. And so to be chosen is 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 almost astronomical in and of itself. And then they have the fact where not everybody is applying. Some people are being recruited actively to be onto the season. And those people are part of this small gym of of 500, 600 people that are in Survivor. And it probably just infuriates people to no end that that these two women were recruited to be on the show. And they're like, they took my spot. They took mm-hmm. my spot to be on the show. And it's like, they did not take your spot because they have it. And for the most part, you probably don't. They took our jobs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll add on top of that, just as like a final blanket statement, which you guys have mentioned before, but never cast sort of like an umbrella-esque Paul over quitters uh, when it comes to Survivor. Because chances are, as we've said many times, you, you can't experience what it was like to be out there on the island Austin probably had some sort of staff infection. Uh, you know, Bean Nguyen from David versus Goliath had a career that relied on her body. So when she hurt her knee, she had to get it checked out. Nyanka is anemic. Purple Kelly basically had no clothes in the middle of torrential downpours every day. Chances are, if someone leaves the game, it is for a good reason. And so I think, unfortunately, when we just hear the word quitter... When it comes to the show, we are saddled with this image of someone basically being like, I don't want to do this anymore. Bye. And that's not necessarily it. The vast majority of the time, someone's going to have a good reason to leave the show. Like Jay said, the vast majority of the time, they're not going to show it, which is understandable, right? They want people to apply for the show that that will stick it out for the full 39 days and probably then some. But I would say, as a fandom, hopefully I'm, I'm speaking to a crowd of people that wouldn't necessarily do this, but... Just in case, if someone happens to voluntarily leave the game of Survivor, don't immediately assume the worst about them. Because chances are, they just gave up the chance of winning a million dollars or getting a good chunk of money sitting in there at the end. They probably had a good reason to do so. Well, and I, I do wonder as, this is one thing, you know, sorry, we're dating dating this podcast here. We haven't seen a lot of new Survivor in a while. But I do wonder with... Like, I just feel like as society evolves and the things we talk about, I feel like there is much more of an open conversation about mental health and making decisions for you and not really, you know, pushing yourself to a point that's going to be really detrimental to you. I wonder if there will ever be kind of a shift in mindset about quitters on Survivor being like, you know, at the end of the day, you kind of need to make you know, what the best decision for you as as a human being and, and knowing that everyone is, you know, going through a lot of, of, of things in their life. And, and that's one thing I think I look at some of these quits with the new lens, too, of thinking how we're trying to, as a society, be more receptive to the struggles people go through. Yeah, I, well, yeah. And I, I wanted to put on top of that, um, yeah, some of my rant came off a little angry at, at people and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's not, uh, you know everyone out there is, you know, entitled to how they feel and, and all of that other sort of thing. It's just, you know, we don't fully know everything that the peoples go through. And, uh, I lost my train of thought. Go Mario. 
Well, okay, I was just going to say I was going to start eulogizing our two quitters here, but Purple Kelly, I have to say, I have never actually met Purple Kelly or talked to her or anything, but I have to say this is probably one of the coolest things I've ever heard out of any Survivor contestant ever. Like, Purple Kelly got the probably the worst treatment any player has ever got on Survivor from a production point of view, real-world point of view, reception from the fans' point of view, became a meme, people still to this day make fun of her. Do you know... She was very active in the Survivor, like the the fan community for years after the show. She'd go to the events. She'd go to meet and greets. She would be very gracious with people. She would, like, sit there and people could abuse her to her face and say she was a quitter. She would always go to these events. And I've always heard this. Again, this is – I've heard this consistently. I've never met her personally, but people always said – she was the nicest person. I, I could not believe anybody was ever cruel to that girl. She is the sweetest person I have ever met. All the survivors who met her have said that. All the fans who have met her. They're like, Purple Kelly is special. She is so much nicer than you think she, any survivor player would have the rights to be. And she did that for years despite getting crapped on so hard by this show. So I just want to say that to anybody who ever you know, feels like they hate her or they're mad at her. Like, Put yourself in that poor girl's shoes. I think she really did the best she could with a very tough situation and more power to her for going to the fan events for all those years it's only in recent years she stopped doing it she was very i was i heard she was omnipresent in like every event ever yeah good for her because i mean i think again if we're going back to like what the vast majority of us would do i think it's totally understandable we've seen people in the past right who like get a really shitty edit not as shitty as purple kelly but then say like screw this show i'm leaving it behind like i'm i'm not mentioning survivor in my past but no purple kelly's like fully or was fully into it and i really i agree with you mario i absolutely admire that again going back to paul's comments about like mental health i could imagine in a manner of speaking even though purple kelly uh, wasn't a fan of the show it probably was a kind of a traumatic experience what she what she was able to go through out there and i think being able to revisit that and and, you know try to still work and, and talk with the fans of the show that that really did her a disservice uh, I think is is incredibly admirable and, and very mature of her. She shows that 20 years of wisdom right there. <laughs> and it's funny because I'll, I'll explain this stuff all the time on message boards. And so many Survivor fans will kind of miss the bigger picture because their next question is, yeah, but could she have won? I'm like, well, I don't really think that's really the, the important thing. Like, would she have got to the end and won? My personal answer is no, she's not going to win because nobody really respected her as a strategist. But I think you're overlooking the big point if that's the only thing you care about with Purple Kelly's story. Could she have won? Like, okay, the blunt answer is probably not, but I don't think it's that relevant. Uh, and as part of my eulogizing of Purple Kelly and Neonk, Purple Kelly and Neonk to, to move on to the other thing, I remember what I was going to say. And and it was sort of what uh, going on the back with Paul with, with looking, you know, looking at people's mental health and things like that. And in the fact that I think that people have a problem with this a lot of times because the, the stakes are so large on Survivor in a lot of ways, you know. Um, I, I play, I play a a computer game online, Dota 2, very, you know, you know, it's a five on five battle arena kind of, kind of game. And, you know, it requires 10 people to be playing the same game at the same time. And you know what? Sometimes people leave the game that you're playing, you know, whether it's on purpose because they rage quit or sometimes, you know, I've had friends and we've been playing uh, a game and someone's internet dies, you know, and, they abandon the game and we will lose the game then because we have one few, fewer person than the other team does. Right. And what's the result? The result is, is that we lost the game. That's it. The games are usually about 40, 45 minutes long. So I, I wasted 40 ish minutes of my life 
playing this game that we didn't win because the person abandoned the game. Okay, cool. Nayanka and Purple Kelly's quit on, on top of all of these things. This is going to, going forward, completely change this game. And that's cool. It's a game. But it's a game on TV for a million dollars. And so it's a little different. And I think that's another reason why, you know, especially Survivor comes down super hard on them because they have just wrecked this game. Yeah, and you're not wrong. That's a very valid viewpoint. Because from a production point of view, you can't have this. It ruins the story. So it's just an unfortunate situation that... uh, to this day, again, we always try to put these shows into historical perspective for people. People hated this double quit at the time. They hated Dayanka. They thought Purple Kelly was the biggest waste of space. You know, those two have been reviled for years for different reasons, obviously. But yeah, this was not popular. It's still not popular today. I still see people watching these seasons for the first time on Reddit all the time. People do threads. Here's my thoughts watching Survivor for the first time. They always get to double quit and it infuriates them. And that's the thing. I just people just haven't haven't been watching Survivor long enough to realize the patterns in the bigger picture of what's being done in episodes. They're so emotional. But, yeah, it still works. This episode pisses people off and it was designed to. So that's I mean, what can you do? And and sometimes and sometimes with it, you know, Survivor does it to themselves. Like, obviously, Purple Kelly and Ayanka quit. That was their decision. They made the decision to quit. The Survivor producers did not, you know, uh, tell them to quit. But we're going to have a string here in the mid 20s where someone's going to leave the season, uh, at least one one person a season's going to leave, either by quitting or being medevaced out of the frickin' game, right? That's <laughs> to also the, To the point problem. where we'll, we'll theme a returning season after it, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know what? Like, maybe we, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we just look at this whole thing a little bit differently, is all I'm saying. I feel like we shouldn't eulogize Nayanka separately from Purple yeah. Kelly, though, because, I mean, Nayanka... I know you said this, Mari, about how Brenda was the character of the season, but I do feel like <laughs> Nayanka, this is Nayanka's season. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. 100%. I think she's an incredibly polarizing character, but I think she was the confessionalist to go to. I think in a season where maybe because they wanted to do like the young versus the old, they went for, I think, more demure personalities overall. Like we talked about this with, with Chase and Sash. Nayanka was 100% herself. And 100% unique. We have never experienced a character like Nayanka before. I don't think we ever will again. And so I I will, like, say thank you, Nayanka, for making these 12 episodes of Survivor Nicaragua the way they were. Because, again, like, you you talk about the the Jill stuff in terms of the, the, the Purple Kelly expose. Nayanka, again, was very well liked. On the on the in the cast as well, like she could. If you're talking about could Purple Kelly have won, they make this comic moment right out of like Nayanka. Do you think you could win this? She's like, oh yeah, I absolutely think I can. But she wasn't completely wrong, at least not in that moment. <laughs> Again, like it, charisma goes a long way, as we talked about with Fabio and Nayanka had a personality that, despite the the spats that she got on with Fabio at some points, like maybe with the exception of Marty. She got on well with pretty much everybody in the game. So I, I do think that she is someone who, you know, we we're, 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 could be looking at a completely different season if Nayanka and Purple T- Kelly don't quit for many reasons. And one of them might be, honestly, that Nayanka might be either close or might even become the winner of this season after Brenda leaves. <laughs> Can you imagine a season where Nayanka wins? <laughs> Yeah, it's, I have a lot to say about Nayanka. I don't want to get bogged down too much. She she is probably my favorite villain in Survivor history. 
she may be my favorite female player in Survivor history just because she adds so much to the season. And again, there's people like different players for different reasons. I've gone on record before that I love these big, over-the-top people that take over a season. I love Coach. I love people like Nayanka that just completely, every time they're on screen, they're the star. And obviously you get down to the argument, can a villain go too far? Can a villain be too dislikable and over-the-top? My answer is no, that no, you cannot possibly have a villain that's too over the top because that's what they're supposed to do. But I was also raised in the world of cartoony pro wrestling and stuff, and I kind of treat Survivor not very seriously. It's kind of like a cartoon, just a TV show to me. So, like, in my opinion, they should be a Nyanka on every season. They should get progressively more and more Nyanka as it goes along. But I also don't watch Survivor like most people do. But to me, she is fantastic. I could not have loved Nyanka more in this season. Well, and we feel we feel her loss, and that's another yeah. thing that 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 we have to point out because, uh, I, in, in the sake of time, I think we can kind of cruise through the next couple of episodes because, yeah. well, here's Benry. Okay, okay. Let me, let me corral this. Let me corral this. We're going to skip almost right to the finale. How about that? We can kind of keep this in our timeline. But I do want to eulogize Nayanka so we don't skip over her because I want to hear from our youngest person here, Paul, because I'm quite intrigued how young Master Paul Oslison re- responded to Nayanka at the time because I know she's so polarizing. Yeah, at the time I was horrified, couldn't believe she was a teacher, you know, very much took away from what the show kind of wanted us to <laughs> to be appalled by her behavior and things like that. But I think like Mike alluded to, I feel like there has been quite a bit of softening uh Nianka, especially recently, and I think I have so much more appreciation for her now. But yeah, at the time, no, she was like one of the most god awful things to ever come on Survivor. <laughs> Yeah, and that's not unusual. That was very typical of the fan base and probably still is to this day. I, I think the fact that three or even four of us are kind of waxing nostalgic for Nyanka is very odd among Survivor podcasts, I have to say, even to this day. I love Nyanka, and uh, I, I don't want to sit here and say I was rooting for her at the time because I, I think that the way the show is being presented, it's hard to root for her because they're telling you you shouldn't root for her mm-hmm. and whatnot. But, you know... I, I I admire somebody who knows what they want and will go get it because I'm not that person. So yeah. I'm rather I'm rather indecisive and uh, more more meek and whatnot. And so to watch somebody you know demonstrably take control of a situation, I usually uh, sort of gravitate to. And you know, yeah, I I was very frustrated when when both ladies quit uh, upon first viewing. I, I can't sit here and say that I wasn't. Uh, but as you can tell, probably from the way I'm talking about it, my stance has completely softened over the years. Yeah. And also on a rewatch, uh, Nyanka is just such great television and <laughs> she's such a great personality. And 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 as you said, you can see how much she's liked out there. And I think that that really tells you a lot about Nyanka. And I think that that's something that that people either forget or don't want to look at. But it's like Nyanka's great. And we just need to get over it. Yeah, and that's the thing as well is that I think, you know, the what the edit really doubles down on with the quit as well is that it keeps cutting back to, like, Marty and Brenda on the jury, right? Being like, what is going on? I want to play. I can't believe this is happening. Which, again, is really underlining maybe how we're supposed to be feeling about this, which is like, how dare they? Survivor is a sacred game. But, like, Marty, Brenda, y'all got voted out for a reason, like, yeah, you want to play, but you could say that at literally any other tribal council as well. Like, sorry, you got voted out, and then these yeah. two knew that, like, due to extenuating circumstances that you didn't go through, that they, that they couldn't play the game. 
Yeah, it, it's it's like it's like when Janu quit, you know, and and Stephanie was like, you know, begging for her life, you know, or before or after, just like I would kill and die to play this game and blah blah. blah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, your tribe lost a lot. I don't know what to tell you, dude. Like, you got your shot. This was your shot. It 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 didn't turn out well for you. I'm sorry. Yeah, I would kill to stay in this game. Well, guess what? Nayanka and Purple Kelly wouldn't. In the words of Taylor from Kid Nation, deal with it. Yep. Yeah, and this, we're talking about the episode where they kill a chicken as well. They kill Kelly Nay, the chicken. Yeah, that's the thing. They embarrass Kelly and Nay even more by naming the chicken after them and killing them and killing it and specifically showing it just to, to further drive the point home that we're supposed to hate these two. Anyway, I just want to say I totally agree with Jay. I'm very frustrated when I watch this episode when Nayanka and Pellet Kelly Purple quit. But the reason I'm frustrated is because we get less Nayanka now. That's my only reason. Well, anyway. I feel like you feel like uh, I don't know because I would imagine maybe Jeff at all are feeling the same way too. Because like Jeff loved going to Nayanka at Tribal Council, <laughs> right? Like now you can't do that. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if he's like, "All right, special rule for the rest of the, sh- the rest of the season: jurors are now allowed to talk openly at Tribal <laughs> Council." Please, Nayanka. Yeah. The Eliza rule: we will cut to you as much as possible on the jury. So, but they didn't. But, yeah. but they didn't want to because they quit, right? So that's right. It's tough. I mean, he's going to say in this episode, right, and here come our two quitters, Nayanka and Purple Kelly. Speaking of rule changes, I have to put this in historical perspective. Why people were mad at this quit. Yeah, they're mad at the quit, but the reason a lot of fans have been upset at this over the years, especially at the time, is because they were then allowed to be part of the jury. That's the part that really galled a lot of Survivor fans, and I think they – they changed that rule, right? Yep. Remember, that happened, did happen with Janu, too. So there was precedent for it. But yeah, specifically after this, Jeff said, basically he said, like, oh, my hands were tied at the time due to precedent. But now we have a special rule that says if you quit in the jury phase, you won't be on the jury. Which, I mean, hasn't happened since. So I don't know if that's, like, putting the fear in God into the contestants. If it's more so just it happens that everyone who quits decides to do so pre-merge because they realize it's not for them. Again, the Nayanka Purple Kelly case was a very special case for many reasons, but Survivor wanted to make sure it never happened again. (laughs) And we will finish our eulogizing of Nayanka by saying, do you guys know how she was recruited for the show? I just heard this recently and I love it. I remember she was... um... Was was she on some substances and yes. was um, down at was she at Venice Beach? She was in her car hot boxing, which yes. is where you get high in a car and the the fumes trap it inside a car, so you get hot, more high. And that's how someone recruited her because she was hot boxing. So I mean, that predicted her vote for Fabio, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I love Nayanka. I could talk another hour about her, but we will not because we got to move on now. In the interest of time, we're going to kind of skim to the end because not a lot happens in this ep- in the rest of the season. Basically, once a double quit happens, there's no narrative anymore. We have. What do you mean? We have we have a whole episode dedicated to Benry. Oh my <laughs> god! Okay. Let me sum this up, but we'll eulogize Benry to Paul's satisfaction here. But we have Jane, Sash, Holly, and Chase as the foursome against. Dan, Fabio, and Benry. And this is the storyline the entire rest of the season. The four are going to take out the three. So they take out Benry first. And then they are supposed to take out Dan next, but they don't because Dan's kind of worthless. So they take out Jane. 
And that'll take us to our, our, our finale, which is the three against Fabio and Dan. Is there anything else in there that's worth talking about? Other I than think, Chase repeatedly doing stupid stuff and pissing everyone off. Yeah, but I think we should be, I, I think, I think we should be talking about that, though, because I think that's, that's a big thing. Again, it, it does come out weird because in the end, he still ends up getting four votes. But, like, the big theme of these two episodes is Chase is going to win both rewards, had made promises to people right before the challenge, I'm going to pick this person and this person, and then immediately breaks his word. I, I think that some of the reason to explain that is the thing that's going on in these episodes where these people are going, where uh, uh, Benry goes and then Jane and blah, 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 is, you know, going into this Benry, we, we've got chopped from nine to seven due to Nayanka and Purple Kelly quitting. And we've got kind of like a, a three pair in a three pair because we've got like Dan, Fabio and Benry. And then we've got like Holly, Jane and Chase. And then we have Sash, who's with more of the Holly group. But you know, Sash is kind of like, I could I could go with this threesome or I could go with this three. Who knows? You know what I mean? What I'm going to do. And, you know, then he sort of makes a decision. And then it's Sash that's like, no, no, we got to cut Jane now. And and so it's Sash that's kind of chopping and changing these alliances and kind of going with it. And so it's important to note that people are viewing Sash as kind of like this, oh, I thought he was with me, but then he just turned around and cut my throat and all that sort of stuff. So Sash is taking a lot of this heat. Chase is doing a lot of like, I don't know if I want to do it, but but I'm going to do and, and he's kind of more all, all over the place. This is an important distinction to make as we head into the finale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because well, Sash is going to, despite Jeff in this, in this opening narration, right, say, ever have one of those days when everything <laughs> goes wrong? Welcome to Sash's day. And you can imagine, like, Baba O'Reilly playing in the background, right, <laughs> of like, you're probably wondering how I got to be in this place. Where despite the narrative that, oh, Sash's alliance has entirely fallen apart, like... He still is the swing vote at the final seven. But the thing they really elaborate in episodes 13 and 14 with Sash is, my God, is this man transparent? And again, if we're talking about charisma, like Fabio has it in spades and Sash thinks he has it and he really, really doesn't. Like everyone knows what he's doing. He's doing a terrible job being the swing vote to the point where like both sides are are mad at him. Yet he's still in confessional saying like, I'm in control of this game. You know, every decision I've made, I've gone correct. I've, I've been the one that's been able to be the arbiter of my own fate. Cut to Sash getting zero votes. So while mm-hmm. the chase narrative is a little more confused, because again, he's going to get four votes, the path becomes very clear to Sash, who is trying to present himself as like the Brian Heideck, right? The wheel and dealer who nobody suspects is pulling the strings the entire time. Except literally everyone knows. The the audience is behind the puppeteer at this point, seeing exactly what he's doing. Yeah. And the editors will drive that point home. The more you watch these last three episodes, really all the last three episodes are, are hey, please wrote, root for Holly. They tried to get you to do that. And it's, boy, Chase really can't make a decision. He pisses everybody off. And boy, Sash is really repellent to people, and they all see right through him. And they'll mention this over and over. Oh, Sash is a scumbag. Oh, Chase can't figure out what he's doing. And this is the position the editors have been put in with Nayanka and Purple Kelly leaving, that we're going to have an endgame with no interesting characters left, and the two major ones, Sash and Chase, are going to lose that final vote. And it's a very tricky narrative they're trying to present here, because this goes back to what I talked about earlier in the podcast, that you have these people, Chase, Holly, Jane, that they're trying to build this narrative around being these major interesting characters, and they're just not. 
And it's an unfortunate reality. We talked about not everyone can be a reality TV star. Not everyone is meant to be a star of Survivors. Jane and Holly and Chase are all seem like nice people, but they don't have that magnetism. They can drive the entire storyline. It really hurts the season as it goes along. And it's their story. And they're all going to fail. So how do you tell that story? Yeah, I think the, the Sash one is really interesting as well because, yeah, we got the whole, yes, Sash is the, the king of Nicaragua, but it really does feel like they, they had to sort of shunt off the Nayanka villain edit onto him for different reasons, but he seems to be the one that's now giving, like, the big mastermindy confessionals, oh, I'm on top of this game, I'm the one that's making all the decisions, yet he's doing, for lack of a better term, such handsy things where he's literally making endgame deals with each and every person in the game to guarantee that he's going to be sitting there in the end. And then from there, it doesn't really matter. Sort of, at least from our perspective, forgetting the fact that when you cut a bunch of people that you made deals with, they're not going to be particularly happy about that. Sash reiterates the point that was sort of from the Russell era. You know, I think that, you you know, we, we can talk about wording in so many different ways, but I think a lot of times people are like, the skill of Survivor is to vote someone out and then have someone be okay with the move, right? And I don't know if it's necessarily being okay with the move. It's can you vote someone out and then they like you still? Yeah. Yeah, it's a problem when they didn't like Sash to start with. <laughs> right. And 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 so that's why a lot of times when you get to a final tribal council and somebody like goes to – talks to one of the finalists and is just like, talk to me about that. I thought we were friends out there and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, they're trying to reconcile. I liked you. You did something, you, you cut me out of the game. We need to reconcile this. Whereas, like with Sash, everyone's just like, oh, Sash. I mean, it, it, al- it also should be noted that as weird as it is that Fabio wins this season, we could have been looking at a season where Benry is the winner of this season, <laughs> right? Because so the big decision yeah. here at the final seven is do we vote off Benry or do we vote off Fabio? And they felt that Benry was not only the bigger swing vote, but like it was a little bit like a Heidi versus a Jenna Maraska situation, right? Where like Fabio is purposely sitting more back to not present himself as threatening while Benry's approaching everyone and is like, yeah, I'll get rid of Fabio. Like I'll sell out whoever I need to, which almost stuck his neck out more for it to be chopped off. But if Fabio gets voted out here, we talked about how good Benry was in those challenges pre-merge. There's a chance he ends up in the same spot as Fabio, winning out, and then you're looking at Benry Ben Henry, winner of Survivor 21 Nicaragua. I think that Heidi and Jenna comparison is perfect. That's a perfect analogy, because Benry is the stronger player, just like Heidi was. At least the more obvious strong player. But I think that's a wonderful analogy. Yeah, Fabio could have gone here. Benry wins those last couple challenges and wins Survivor, and it would not be that far-fetched. It wouldn't be far-fetched. Um, but also, I want to point out, I know that Brenda and Chase were close in, in the game, but, I mean, if you had to pick somebody that Sash was the most copacetic with in in the show, would you say it would be Brenda? I don't know if Sash had the capability of being that with anybody, to be honest. Right. But yeah, but, but, he was but, he was tight with her because they had that minority alliance at the start. He, I mean. he was tight with her, right, the whole time. Does Brenda vote for Sash at the end? Nope. That should tell you something. <laughs> well, we do have to talk about one big variable in there. Yeah, we'll get to that at the end. I know, I know. But no, I know. It, it is it is very telling that Sash gets zero votes. Yeah, yeah, I guess we have to talk about that. I mean, end, I mean, cause... let's let's talk about it now, right? Because as we're going into the Jane stuff, I think we're going to have yeah. to mention it. 
Okay, first, first, with anything to say about Benry, we lose Benry here. He's kind of forgettable, although we talked about earlier in the podcast. Benry is a fairly big character in the season and quite a big reason why the, the LaFleurs win a bunch of challenges at the start. He's one of the big challenge beasts, so he's not an insignificant character in this season. He's a character that's big for his season and important on his season and, and, and carries a lot of weight with the season, but at the same time, Benry has not been asked back on a, on a, on a subsequent season of Survivor and even though I can say all of those things about Benry, I'm also not surprised he hasn't been asked back. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, nobody from Nicaragua except for Brenda has been asked back. That should yeah. tell you something. Also, Marty. Why not Marty? Yeah, yeah. we've talked about Marty. He that wants was to play. One. Come on. All right, so we'll talk about this mortgage gate here, which is not 100% proven to be true. It's a very dicey thing to talk about because no one in the Survivor fan base knows exactly what happened with this as much as they claim to. So with that being said, let's talk about this thing with Jane and Sash that's going to become very important here. Yeah, we want to preface this by saying this has not been stated as undeniable fact. This is literally the rumor mill. No no Renee Seiler here to give us any inside information. (laughs) But allegedly, the rumor is that Sash told Jane, if you vote for me to win... Uh, like you know, this is part of their endgame deal too. And if you vote for me to win, if you happen to be on the jury, I will help pay off the mortgage on your house. We all know the situation that Jane came from, right? She had recently lost her husband. She was left with like this farm and this family to take care of, and so this meant a lot to Jane. And then Jane gets voted out by Sash, and it did not end well. And one of the big things, if we're talking about doing away with traditions, through the first 21 seasons of Survivor, the bonus clips online had full editing, full voting confessionals, right? Sometimes we only see a couple on the episode from the people voting out other people. Back in the day, through the first 10 years of the show online, we used to have every single voting confessional to find out why someone voted for someone else. After season 21, no more because of this, because I believe when they were voting out Jane or when Jane was was in the final tribal council, there were remarks made about this deal. And because the editors had to sort of like sweep it under the table because there's some gray area in there involving like, can you bribe someone with a jury vote with that type of stuff? Uh, they essentially then said, okay, to avoid any other risks, let's just not show voting confessionals. And I don't believe they've been shown ever since. Yeah. Although, to be fair, they did not show the Amazon ones, if you remember that, the final of Amazon votes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But, okay. So, yeah. Again, this is not – I can't state this enough. This is not proven fact. Marty has gone on record and saying, no, this is all bullshit. None of this ever happened. But there's been this rumor over the years that Chase apparently, you know, volunteered to pay Jane's mortgage. They were conspiring to win together. And the rumor has been that the producer said, no, that's breaking the rules. You can't conspire. Because of that, Sash is eliminated. You cannot vote for him to win. And that's one of the reasons, the theories why he gets zero votes at the end, because the producers had told them you can't vote for Sash. Again, I don't know if that's true. Marty says it's bullshit. I don't remember who said it was true in the first place, but this rumor has been floating around Nicaragua since it aired. And it's one of the most interesting behind the scenes things out there that no one seems to know the right answer about. Because it's a it's a it's a dicey situation because we talk often on this show about how there really aren't a lot of rules on Survivor. Like there are a lot of rules for the contestants. But, you know, in the sense of how do you play? Who do you vote for? Who do you vote for to win the million bucks? Like, you know, 
you have to vote for one of the people there. Like that's the, that's a rule. But why you vote for the person, that's completely up to you. There's no basis one way or another for anything. But one of the a couple of the hard and fast rules of Survivor. One is you cannot physically assault somebody on the show. You know that isn't part of a challenge in some reason. Blah, 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 if, blah. You're, but, if you're not in the attack zone, if you're not in the attack zone, like you can't straight up punch somebody. That's an automatic. You're out of there. And I think one of the other things is that you can't make money deals at the end. I think that is a thing in the sense of like, okay, well, you know, uh, I'll vote you out and put you on the jury, and then I'll we'll split the prize seventy thirty or something like that. You know, like that stuff is has that is part of. I believe that's always been sort of part of the rules, right? Now, what you do with your money is it's your money after you win the show, right? Because very famously, I know Rosie O'Donnell stuck her, her beak in there, but Tina beat Colby in the finals of Survivor Australia, and then the whole thing was Tina was like, oh, if I win, I'll buy you a Harley. Right, and it's and it's also, like, implicit within the blood versus water seasons, too, right? If, yeah. like, pairs make it to the end of, like, hey, I'll fall on my sword because you'll go to the end and, like, I'll get at least a little bit of your money. Yeah, exactly. There's that sort of thing. But, like, you know, Tina bought Colby a, a Harley. So did Rosie O'Donnell for some reason. Colby is a top shot. But, like, you know, we we that what you do there, you know, and maybe there's certain things going on, like, oh, maybe I'll buy this thing for you and all that sort of stuff. But just the whole we'll split the prize is frowned upon. And this mortgage gate is the rumor that is the closest that has come to something like that. Yeah. And again, it's. There's people out there that say it never happened, but it is also very inexplicable that Jane's stuff was all cut out, and I think she has commented on it, although she's very careful what she has said over the years, and Sash gets no votes, and this whole final vote is weird and dicey and presented oddly. I don't know, there's a lot of where there's smoke, there may be fire, but no one can say one way or another for sure. That's the one thing we have to absolutely state 100% here. Anybody who claims 100% that wasn't there, like Marty, is lying. But Marty's also the only one who says it had, didn't happen. Other people say it did. So it's really weird. Yeah, well, this entire episode is a little weird, right? Because, again, if we talk about foregone conclusions, we get five, we get Chase and Holly and Sash deciding that Jane's going to go. And we get this really tense scene, right, where it's the three of them standing around and then Jane approaches them. And I like I actually really like this scene because I like the way that it's edited, that they include like all the awkward silences and that Chase and Holly and Sash do such a terrible job of trying to deflect this idea that they're going to be voting off Jane tonight. Uh, And then it just sends Jane into an absolute tirade. And it's one of these things where looking back, you're like, how on earth did she win fan favorite? Because, again, I think a lot of the things that she says uh, and, you know, a lot of the things that she does, you're saying, like, oh, this is something a villain would put out the fire. A villain would hide fish and, and eat it while everyone else is starving. But, again, just due to the way that things are being portrayed, Jane is portrayed as this, like, gritty old Southern woman who has a, a very tragic background and gets, you know, her lion slits her throat in front of her because she's uh, she's too likable and she would win in the end. And as a result, it leads to her becoming like this unanimous fan favorite right before the the window opens. <laughs> yeah, that's supposed to be a Yas Queen moment when she dumps the the water on the fire. Yeah, she's definitely one of the weirdest fan favorite winners. It's weird to reconcile that with the edit. If you look at Survivor history and stuff. Yeah, well, even at the Tribal Council, right? Like they keep 
cutting to the jury every time because the tribal council is Jane just like Jane's last stand. She's coming out and saying all this stuff is happening and the jury's like eating it up, right? I'm not saying that that's untrue, but I feel like it's it's the editors wanting us to feel like, oh man, look what Jane's doing, right? Like she's really giving it to these to these people that are left. But then you also get the awkwardness too of Jeff outright saying like, Dan, Fabio, my mom would be asking, why don't you work with Jane? Why don't you force a 3-3 tie right now? Okay. Um, I will summarize this last episode. This is the last one before the finale, just a little for people who haven't watched it before, just to make sure we get some context here. So it's really interesting to me because a lot of people remember the season as Fabio immunity runs to the end, like Mike Holloway, like he wins like eight immunities. But that's not true. He only It's only two episodes of Fabio. Like, Fabio is only the major character for two episodes. It's this one and the last one. And it's only three immunities. It's actually not as big a run as you remember it being. The big story in the second to last episode is there's the family visit. They get to visit from home. All the loved ones come out. And Chase wins this reward. And he picks which loved one's going to go with him. And he chooses who he picks. Uh, I forget. Off the top, is it Sash and Holly? He picks Holly, yeah. Because he made the promise to Fabio that, like, oh, we're all going to see our moms, and he instead picks Holly. Yeah, but this becomes important later because this was the time Fabio was going to be able to see his mom. They live in different states. They never see each other, and apparently he and Chase had made promises. So it's a big deal, this family visit, and people are mad that Chase doesn't give Jane her family visit because Jane's daughter is about to leave for college. This is the last summer. And, like, they, everyone's just so mad at Chase making these terrible decisions. And so this is kind of a, a another pivotal, man, Chase is really bad at some of these decisions in this game moment, this whole family visit scene. So anything else about this scene that you remember other than uh, Fabio's mom saying that at home they call him Judd the Stud? Well, I also like – what I do enjoy about Chase as a survivor character is that Chase is one of those rare people who is a bad survivor player and knows it. Like, he talks about that at the reunion, and he even talks about it, I think not in this episode, but the last episode, where he picks Jane and Holly to go on the reward with. And he and everyone else, all they're saying is, man, I screwed up. Wow, that was a bad decision. Why did I do that? And I kind of appreciate that. Again, I think in a world where certain personalities are cast on Survivor, where they all think, like, they are the greatest player, it's nice to see some self-introspection sometimes of Chase being like, Man, I'm I'm doing some pretty shitty stuff right now. And granted, he's going to try to make an argument for himself at the final tribal council. He's not going to lay down and die. But I have some appreciation for the person who comes onto the show and is like, I thought I would be good at this, and I am not. <laughs> Let's see. The the only other thing in this episode is that they have the family reward challenge. They have the uns unscramble the letter puzzle. It spells out family comes first, which is a nice callback because that's also the motto on Deb Eaton's uh, living room. So oh, it's Jesus. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, no. Thank you. Yeah, I was waiting all wait for that joke. Okay. So anyway, Jane, we go to Tribal Council. We're going to lose Jane. The four are going to turn on poor Jane Bright here. And she, like, like you said, dumps out the fire. She goes to Tribal Council. She calls them all out. And again, this is where, uh, again, we're exposed to be invested in Holly as this beloved fan favorite of Kathy Vavrick O'Brien. And Jane just lays into her at tribal council. You know, you're a liar. You turned on me. You trust. I trusted you. We had an alliance. You're a thief. You should have gone to jail for stealing Dan's shoot. Like, again, it's tough to reconcile Holly as a big fan favorite. When Jane is just going nuts on her at the end, Jane goes crazy on sash on chase says you ain't never coming back to the Carolinas again. You brute. You're a river rat. I think she calls one of chase. Maybe your sash. 
Yeah, but yeah. yeah, she's gonna do that uh, next in the in the finale, right? Her jury speech is gonna be like, "Sash, go crawl back in the gutter. Chase, you'll never be welcome back in North Carolina." Yeah, it's and so this is Jane's last stand, and again, this is what won her fan favorite inexplicably for some reason. But yeah, she just goes off at everybody, and she's in tears, and she's voted out. And with that, we go to the finale, which is only the three people left in the alliance: Chase. Uh, Sash and Holly against the two, Dan and Fabio, and these are going to be our five as we go to the finale. And I'm, with that, anything you want to say about Jane before we leave? I mean, I think that, you know, again, Jeff's going to outright mention a tribal council here, like, Fabio, Dan, why don't you force a 3-3 tie? It's a weirdly edited vote as well. We don't even see Jane's vote because it is unanimous against Jane. Uh, it should also be mentioned that this is when two idols are played as well. But I think it's because... Like, Fabio and Dan, you could say on paper, I mean, this is like the Sierra Easton thing in Blood versus Water, right? Like, you're at the bottom of the alliance, force that 3-3 tie, but Fabio and Dan didn't want to go to the end with Jane either. <laughs> I mean, that was the, the thing, right? Is that, like, Jane was someone who maybe wasn't necessarily well-liked, but she had a hell of a story. Uh, right. And I think that that would certainly ain't earn her a lot of acclaim. It's not like Fabio and Dan can then say, all right, it's going to be us three to the end, because with the advent of a final three... Jane would be sitting there alongside them too. And so it really is like, hell, if we're going to survive another day, let's get rid of a common enemy right now and hope that something goes our way tomorrow. Then take a risk on a 3-3 tie. Uh, and in that case, you like get a rock draw where it's what? It's like Dan and Holly are the only two drawing rocks and then something, and then Dan ends up going then anyway. Or like some amalgamation where you cut you know you 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 vote against someone else and then uh you end up not taking jane at the end i mean there's a lot of ifs going on including the fact that jane votes against sash but sash plays the idol so there wouldn't have been a 3-3 tie to begin with yeah i i think that that's sort of the thing you know and and something we talk we try to talk about in survivor is circumstances as it is it's always fun to just look at things on paper but you have to look at sort of what is being presented chase and sash are going to play their idols because it's the last time they can play their idols right and this shows you how fabio's immunity win uh throws a monkey wrench into things because fabio is an easy vote out but they can't vote him out so then the other easy vote out is dan but it's dan <laughs> we can keep him for another for another thing like dan's not winning anything right so uh you know at that point your vote is either holly or jane and that's it right and so mm -hmm. then so then chase and chas sash are like who are we more comfortable with and jane has shown to be a little bit better at challenges than holly has mm -hmm. so it makes sense and also like you said jane's got the story you know and and you know holly's husband comes and you know he's like a what like a you know politician and all that sort of stuff like holly's doing okay and Jane's got Jane's got a story and and I think that you know it's I'm not going to say it's a very easy vote out but it's one of those where like it it it's pretty it seems like that's the move to do and uh yeah Jane doesn't take it well I mean not to mention the fact that now I I sort of did the mental math in thinking about this uh if they force the 3-3 tie Dan gets advantage get in here he gets to read because Fabio saved through immunity Sash and Chase played idols if it's 3-3, three, three, Jane and Holly would assumingly be the, the, the people involved in the tie. They would be safe, and Dan's the only one left. So why mm. the hell would Dan vote for Holly in that case? Because he's guaranteed to go home. It's <laughs> a good point. He, he could have been the original Siri. And again, you know, Jeff says... He got TV, off the like, big chair! <laughs> yeah. And again, Jeff says for TV, like, Dan and Fabio, why don't you force a 3-3 three, three tie? It's like, what's in it for them, Jeff? Yeah, your mom is not the one playing this game, Jeff. 
I always felt bad for for his mom too, the way that he did an impersonation of her. You know, did she just have a stroke? What's what's the way she talks? Wow, why don't you get off the couch and do something? All right. And here we are at the Nicaragua finale, a somewhat infamous finale for a couple of reasons. And uh, before we get into it, do you guys have any thoughts on the final five here going into the end here and, like, how big a chance any of them actually had to win this game? I mean, that's what Jeff says, right? His little montage here is, who the hell could have predicted that these would be the final five? And as much as we talked about him, Jeff sort of bloviating in his commentary, this was, I think, very appropriate. <laughs> Did you notice he gives away the boot order in his intro? I didn't realize that. Uh, yeah. Unintentionally like, so? Did, did you realize, or, or who would have thought these would be the final five? And he goes, Dan, Holly, Chase, Sash, Fabio. And it really is Dan, then Holly, and then the final three with Fabio when he actually gives away the boot order. Just a I, not really fun little fact. I did not realize that. <laughs> But this is one where, you know, a lot of people ask for historical context, like what were we thinking at the time and this, that, and the other thing, which gets more dicey because we're starting to enter an era in which more people who listen to the show perhaps have been watching at this point. So they have their own thoughts, you know, as we do and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, for the most part, you know, I feel like we're mostly on brand with things in the sense that we've talked about how much we love Nayanka. And I loved Nayanka as a character back then, but also I was really upset when she and Purple Kelly quit. And I mean, obviously I have a different opinion with time and passage and thought and reflection and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, at the time, you know, it was, there was vitriol and all that sort of stuff going into this final five. Again, I am at the point here in my survivor watching career where I don't really root for people. Right. You know, it, cause the, the show is the show, the story is the story. Things have happened, but I try to sit there and kind of go logically, who's going to win this game. And, you know, my guess is, are pretty good, but sometimes wrong. But it was going into this Nicaragua finale where I was basically like, I really hope Fabio wins because that would be <laughs> lol. You know, so like even going into this this finale, I was I was on the Fabio train going in. And I'm not going to say everyone else was, but I definitely was. That brings up a question I want to ask you guys. Did you guys know who won the season before you saw the finale? Did, was the season spoiled at all for anybody? It I was. Remember yeah, it was, was, it, it was. It was pretty – because around this era, I would say from really from, a, from 19 through 21 through arguably the first three episodes of 22 for no particular reason at all <laughs> uh, were probably the most spoiled since like the days of, you know, Chill 1 uh, through Palau. But yeah, I, I remember they had the final three down. They had Holly going fourth. Like, I, I do remember that I had gotten unintentionally spoiled about maybe not Fabio winning, but the final three. But again, we talked about this. When you look at particularly the edit of Fabio in these last couple of episodes, and you say, okay, this is the final three, Fabio, I guess, by process of elimination has maybe the strongest edit considering that again as mario has pointed out the past few episodes in particular have shown chase you know keeps flip-flopping and making wrong decisions and sash is saying he's the the master manipulator but literally everybody in the game knows what he's doing how about paul or jay did you guys know i like jay just implied you had no idea basically right no um you know the way I look at Survivor is I don't want to be spoiled, and I am very aware that seasons get spoiled from time to time and uh, all of that sort of stuff. But Survivor sucks in a lot of the message boards. Uh, I don't pay attention to Edgic much, 
and and I, I don't I, the Survivor Sucks message boards. I'm not a, a I'm not a frequent poster on there. In fact, I just don't post on there very much at all. But I do leaf through it from time to time. But when a Survivor season is going on, I stay away, and I only wa- I, I go back and like read threads after the season is done. You know, because, you know, then I sort of can cherry pick certain threads in the sense of things that have more posts and have more discussion. You're like, oh, so that was probably something worth reading. And you kind of go through that. So so I was not a, a active, you know, uh, Survivor Sucks troll at any point, you know, going it, as the season went along. It was always something where I wanted to be unspoiled, watch the show. And then afterwards, you just start I start absorbing all the material. So, yeah, I was not spoiled, luckily. Um, that's not to say that I haven't been spoiled on seasons before, because I definitely have. Um, but this one I was pretty clean on. And I've been pretty good over the years. I've rarely have gotten things spoiled for me. But um, back one of my traditions when I would watch the show, I probably have talked about this at some point before. One of my traditions always was, um, you know, when the finale was on Sunday, kind of my Sunday tradition would be in the morning, start kind of binge watching the whole season up to mm. that point, kind of get, you know, pumped up for the show. And I, I do remember getting ready for the Nicaragua party and watching the first like episode and being like, oh, they're really highlighting Fabio in this first episode <laughs> and giving him a story. I kind of think maybe he's going to win it now because they actually really did hype him up a lot. So uh, there was a picture on me on Facebook somewhere holding – We I used to like write the name of every single contestant on a balloon. And the balloons were all over the place. And so I had a party. I remember they had a Nicaragua finale party and everyone had to stand like next to who they were rooting for. And there's a picture of me and my friend Amanda holding a Holly balloon together. But um, I'll have to dig that up. Wait, so were the balloons specifically for the party? Or did you keep the balloons for the entire 14 weeks of the season? I, no, I think those ones were blown up the day of the party with their names written on them. <laughs> and then we popped them maybe as they got out or something. I... But I think I had them for every single contestant, so I'm not sure. And I would let. Oh, you know, maybe let you know. Candle. Maybe is that what like rites of passage would be? Every time they're shown on screen, yeah. you pop the balloon. Pop, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. You know, kind of adds some an extra musical element to the uh, rites of passage, if you will. Paul, you have so much street cred as a hardcore super fan. I gotta say, <laughs> I have some like weird, weird ass stuff. <laughs> Okay, um, yeah, so I was not specifically spoiled about the end of the season until the day of the finale. Although I have a friend, I've mentioned him before, and I try not to because I know the other historians don't like him. <laughs> That's JML Justin. Uh, this guy named Justin, he does a kind of edgic where he does storytelling and interpretation of who he thinks is going to win each season. And he was on Fabio winning this season so early, like right from like episode three, four, five. He's like... You know, the only person getting an edit this season as a possible winner is Fabio. It's like, it's Jimmy Johnson or Fabio, and those are the only two people that are getting anything positive about them <laughs> in the edit. And so he was on, like, Fabio by, like, episode four. He's like, I cannot believe this spaz could win Survivor. But if you watch, that's the story they're telling. And he was actually right. And I, I, I couldn't believe him at the time. But I will say, we get to the finale, and... You guys, I don't think, do this. Mike, maybe. Are you are you aware of the super fans, the guys that follow around and go to all the live events and stuff? Yeah, so Who's you, not aware of them? Okay. I was going to say, well, some people might not, depending on how tuned are they into the community. But usually what happens is the day before the finale, sometimes uh, there's like an after party that's held the night before the finale. But other times I know that super fans will sort of like uh, take up residence in the hotel that some of the players are staying in. It's, 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 it's not as creepy as it sounds, because uh, it sort of has become a tradition, but I know that it's an opportunity for fans to usually 
talk with the players in that regard, because usually all the stuff the next day is finale. Yeah, yeah. This is not a term. I'm just throwing around here. Super. Everyone considers themselves a Survivor super fan. There's a group of people who the people the people from the show call the super fans, and they follow around. Basically, every time there's a live finale, every time there's a live event, they all go to the event. They camp out in the hotel the day before the Survivor finale. They know all the players. They meet in the lobby. They get autographs. Like I have a friend, Mike Albright. He's one of them. He's been to every event. He has like. 390 autographs he has like every event he's ever been to and i'm not really a super fan but i'm definitely super fan adjacent in that i go to these events from time to time with them and kind of hang out with them and talk to them and i happen to be at the event again there's a hotel in la where all the survivors stay the night before the finale or the week leading up to the finale and all their families fly out and it's always the same hotel it used to be this one at the hollywood and highland intersection in la and i'm only an hour outside of la so I can go, and every so often I'll pop in and just and say hi. And for some reason, I was at the Nicaragua one. It was like the first one I've been to in a while. And again, this is the day I was spoiled. And I will drop a little secret on people. This is something you may not want to hear. I don't know if this will ruin the illusion of Survivor for you. But the day of the finale, every single person in that hotel knows who's going to win before they go to the taping. Like, the players talk about it openly, the super fans talk about it openly, all the family members, all the fans, everybody's there. They're talking about how the vote's going to go that night, what the tally's going to be, and it's almost always 100% accurate. So almost anything you see on TV when they film the live finale, that is an act. Nobody is surprised. Like, in South Pacific, when Coach loses and puts his head in his hands and starts crying. Like, that is the biggest act I've ever seen. Because I talked to Coach, like, four hours before the taping, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to lose tonight. It's going to be bullshit. So, like, that's all a big act. They all know. And the reason I'm talking, I, I may bring that up, is because I was there for the Nicaragua finale that night, and I'm talking to Fabio. The only survivor players that most people wanted to hang out with were the Fabio and Holly. They were, like, the most popular and Fabio's just sitting there in the lobby of the hotel, and all the fans are talking to him, and he's just giving away all these secrets of the season. And he's openly saying, oh, I'm going to win tonight. I'm like, oh, well, I guess that proves Justin's theory. I guess uh, Fabio wins. He's openly telling every single person, yeah, it's 7-2. It's to two. We all know the vote. Uh, Ch- Chase gets two votes. I'm going to get seven. And, like, all the other players were backing it up to, yeah, it's going to be 7-2. So this, it was not a surprise to anybody who was there that night that Fabio wins. But what will be a surprise later on is the vote tally. And it's really funny to look for it if you know what you're watching for. I just want to say that. So I know that when, you know, they you go to the taping of the – because you – did you go to the taping of this finale or you just went to that to that, that event the day before? I just go to the, the event where they meet the fans. I don't specifically go to the taping, but I often will go to the after party after the taping. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, because I would imagine that – so Fabio and Holly – because, again – this cast was not necessarily regarded as the most popular. And there are, of course, the celebrity factor of, of Jimmy Johnson, who I, I don't even know mm-hmm. was there. But you said that Fabio and, and Holly were basically the, the two that people seem to gravitate around in terms of the fan community at the party itself. Yeah, without question, those two. Fabio being the biggest, but Holly the other one. Those are the big two. And Jimmy Johnson, I don't believe, even showed up. They probably had him in a different hotel because there's certain celebrity. Okay, I'll drop another secret. Good on people. Certain survivors are considered bigger celebrities than others. Jimmy Johnson being an obvious one, they'll put him in a different hotel away from the fans so he can do his thing. Boston Rob is another one you may be surprised on. He is not treated like a player. He's treated like a producer or like a Jimmy Johnson and that they'll put him up in a different hotel where nobody can find him. So it's kind of interesting how there's hierarchies of players. 
which is really funny because I think we talked about uh, early in w- one of the podcasts that we did on this season that Jimmy Johnson is perhaps the biggest celebrity to come in and play Survivor. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's bar none. And and we're going to get athletes you know, that have played, but we're, you know, in subsequent seasons, we're going to get some good name athletes like Jeff Kent and Uncle Cliffy and, and some people that come in here who, who are prominent players in in the sports that they were in. But what's really funny about it is, is that, you know, and we're going to talk about, I know we're going to talk about this and I don't want to get into the conversation right now, but it's really funny that you mentioned like, oh, they got Jimmy Johnson holed up in another hotel because he's not there. This season is going to birth somebody who is going to become probably one of the more famous people (laughs) in Survivor. Yeah. Uh, I would say probably number two, because I don't know Mm -hmm. if Elizabeth Hasselbeck, I think, you know, was born from Survivor and she became, you know, a gigantic personality in and of herself. But We'll get there, but it's really funny when you look back on it, like, oh, you can't touch Jimmy Johnson. It's like, oh, well, there's another one. So <laughs> it's kind of fun that way. But anyway, let's keep going. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Wendy Joe. Thank you. Yeah. Listen, she <laughs> she lit the world alive with that puce jacket and cowboy hat she wore at the reunion that she became the new uh, Gianni Versace. Yeah, well, people don't realize this since we've, it's been so long since we've been taping Nicaragua. But she is now the governor of Montana, right, Paul? Well, I was going to say, there is... Um... You know, probably a 25% chance after we're done with this call, I'm going to Olive Garden, and she could be there very, very easily. So I'll keep my eyes peeled. <laughs> I mean, okay. you say you say 25% chance because, like, that is one of the four people in Montana? like One of the four restaurants. Oh, okay. <laughs> so if she wants to go out tonight, there's a, there's a quarter percent chance that it's going to be one of those restaurants. It's that. It's the, the 7-Eleven attached to that one gas station. Uh, it's uh, Mike, a... we do not have 7-Eleven in Montana. It's kind of a foreign concept to us. What do you have? I don't know. 7-Eleven is always like, oh, I went to another state. We went to a 7-Eleven. Like, <laughs> we don't have those. Those are kind of like on the same level as like, ooh, Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, and 7-Eleven. Oh, no, it's a, it's a 356. It's actually half of 7-Eleven. That's, that's all Montana would be able to get into. <laughs> so... <laughs> So Montana's treat 7-Eleven like people in other states treat In-N-Out Burger. They all want to come to California for that. That's how you guys think of 7-Eleven. And you laugh that we uh, think Olive Garden is a really fancy restaurant. So, <laughs> I mean, we'd expect that. I mean, okay. what other place can you go through an entire tour of Italy? Okay, let's go to the finale here. So we start with five players, and again, it's still three against two. This this whole the season is so basic in its alliances; it's very simple. And again, obviously, the, the the I'm sure the reality of the game is much different that everybody had alliances with everybody. But the way the storytelling is in in Nicaragua, it's always a bigger alliance, a smaller alliance, and just two alliances. It's very simple. And we go with three against two. It's Fabio against Dan and. Fabio basically knows he needs to win immunity on the way out, every immunity challenge on the way out to have a chance because they're just going to vote him out. And the episode starts, if I recall, with Sash going up and cozying up to Fabio because Sash has to cover his bases just in case Fabio wins immunity. So Sash, once again, making alliances with everybody just in case. Yeah. uh, Could I nominate that we sort of like yada yada through this first section in particular? Because it's, it's pretty much Fabio wins, Dan's the only choice, and they vote Dan out. Okay, yeah, let's, okay, so yeah, Fabio wins, Dan's the only choice, and they vote Fabio. Well said, my my educated friend. And uh, they vote Dan out, and the only thing that's really uh, exceptional about that is Dan roasting everybody in his final words. 
Yeah, so this is like Natalie Bolton-esque, right? Like this is on the levels of flossing with Jason Siska's jugular because we've seen some stuff from Dan, right? But the stuff that we get from Dan is all of these lull-worthy C-real moments of Dan sitting in a big chair, Dan of uh, being really, you know, uh, weepy and affectionate with his son, seeing him on the island. And then out of nowhere, because again, the only thing we really knew about Dan was his shoes got buried and like he has a bad knee this entire game. Here he comes just absolutely obliterating the butts of the remaining castaways sans Fabio, essentially, like really digging into them. It won't be the end because then he's going to have more to say in his final tribal council. But like Dan comes absolutely out of nowhere. I think if you if you do like a family feud-esque list of the most infamous Dan Lembo moments, I mentioned it before that the chair is number one, but I think his out of nowhere final words and final tribal council speech are definitely up there too. How dare you forget him running off the platform and not being able to throw the ball in the water? That's number, that's maybe number four or five. What? How dare you? That's okay. That should be the top three. Okay, yeah, but yeah, I agree. Yeah, Dan roasting everybody. Now, were you guys, did did you guys remember this moment? Because I always forget it going into the finale. And I was watching the finale the other day, and I'm like, this is actually a pretty fun episode. Like, the end of Nicaragua was kind of a slog after the quit. But, like, this finale is actually kind of fun. And this Dan moment is one of those that I always kind of forget is in there. And he just, he just murders everybody. I was too busy trying to corral the balloon, so I'm not the right person to ask. <laughs> I also... Popping that balloon I, like Dan's uh, knee. I also hate to admit this, but when they went to the format, you know, in later seasons of Survivor, and by later seasons, I mean, aside from like the first couple, where they've got, uh, you know, people being eliminated within the episode before we get to the final three, two, whatever it's going to be. And they kind of slip in like a, a couple seconds of their of their final confessional sort of as going into a commercial break. I always am like, oh, I'm really going to pay attention to those words. And I never do. <laughs> No, I agree with you. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, 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 again, the whole, it's the journey, not the destination thing. Like, we should appreciate all of the episode of Survivor when it happens. But it's like, when you are unspoiled and, and going to the finale and, and trying to figure out who wins, like, okay, Dan got eliminated. No, because now we're going to hear from Dan. Shut up, Dan. Now we've got more people <laughs> to eliminate so we can get to the finals. I love that there's four people left in the game, and Dan obliterates three of them in his final words. I wonder which one of those four people would probably win a jury vote. I'm guessing the one he doesn't obliterate in his final words. Well, it's an interesting point, though. You brought this up before with Jane, that in his final words, I mean, Dan's entire last stand here is him giving this pitch to Tribal Council. Holly's going to win no matter what. She comes from this small farm town of 1100, and, you know, Holly tries to, to bristle against that. And in his final words, Dan says, Holly, you're a crook. You stole my shoes. They ought to cut your damn hands off. So again, the person being presented as a oh, slam dunk, odds on favor to win a jury vote if she makes it there, is also getting absolutely roasted by people that are leaving for doing things that she did all the way back on day five. <laughs> okay, and for the record, Dan's final words are, yeah, Holly, you're a crook. You should be in jail. They ought to cut your damn hands off. You stole my shoes. And then uh, Chase is basically, I hate this guy. He's stupid. He's the biggest moron out here. And then Sash is whiny like a little girl. Uh, 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 and you're a liar. I hate you all. <laughs> Has, can I ask a question? Because this, this is going to require some knowledge and, and whatnot. You know, Dan did bring up, if I'm correct, Dan did bring up sort of that. Because, you know, Dan is, Dan is, is 
he's he's comfortable in his life situation. Mm-hmm. I guess we can say uh, in, in another way, Dan is rich, and he sort of pulls out that card that that a lot of people of wealth say in the show, where they're like, you know, keep me around because no one will give me a million dollars because I don't need it kind of kind of sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think about people who made the finals who were perhaps millionaires. Uh, Brad Culpepper is the first one that comes to mind. Brad oh, Culpepper. Yeah. You know, uh, and I know... I know there was Heide- a rumor at the... I was gonna say, there's rumor at the time that Clay might have been. Remember in in in, yeah. in, uh, in Thailand. But but also Heidek was was also mm-hmm. of wealth. So <laughs> you know you're 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 fighting millionaires there, right? Because to me, it's really funny that that always kind of gets brought up. The whole like, well, no one will vote for me because I am of means, right? And it's like evidence has suggested like if someone gets to the end, that that doesn't matter as much. I'm not saying I'm not trying to say it doesn't matter because to some people it does. But you know, empirically. People who are of means have done okay if they are around in the finals. I think it's more difficult mm-hmm. to get there, right? But, I mean, take a look at it. Sandra won, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, and she was a winner. And, I mean, obviously there was other, you know, stuff going on in Heroes versus Villains. But it's like, they didn't have a problem with that, you know? <laughs> like, To be fair, though, know, that, was, that was her or another winner or, like, no third or, option because nobody or, was voting yeah. for Russell. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not saying my system here is perfect, but you know it's it, it is worth something to say where it's a nice angle where people say like oh don't don't vote for me because no one's gonna vote for me to get a million dollars because it would just literally I'd just throw it in the back room on the on the pile with the rest of it right and it's like I'm not firmly convinced that that's a winning argument. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because that is something I've written about a lot recently that. What fans think the players vote on at the end of the game is not necessarily what the players will vote on at the end of the game, why they vote for winners. And it's kind of interesting. I've talked to a lot of players about this over the years. And one thing that comes up, and fans I don't think tend to think about this a lot, what, what draws the jurors' vote, what tends to be a factor, a big one tends to be, does this person have a family and kids to support, or are they just single? Like, I don't think fans consider that. But I've talked to players over the years, and that comes up a lot. Like, well, one juror was just some single party person or some single person. The other one's got a family, is married with kids. Obviously, you want to reward the person who this will help more. Like, like, so it's not the fact that rich people I don't know are a factor, but there are factors like that that do go in, but it's not what fans tend to think it is. I Absolutely. Also, I will also add on top of that, uh, Mike White is another one who I think some people allege uh, might yeah. might uh, have been denied a win due to the fact that they have uh, some some a good amount of funds outside of the game, especially compared to the stories of the people they're sitting next to. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I tend to find that that argument, you know, comes in early, right? You know, in, in the sense of like like Jimmy Johnson. It's one of those things where like Jimmy Johnson's probably not going to go far in this game, and it's not because of his, you know, lack of challenge prowess at, at this point in his life and all that sort of stuff. It's just, he's Jimmy Johnson. Like, you know he's fine, right? And and, and he doesn't need more money, and he does, certainly doesn't need more fame. And so it's very easy to vote to kind of just go, well, you know, we don't need Jimmy. He's not really helping the the cause, and he's going to be fine. And, you know, I, I think that that kind of goes into early votes. But when we get to the end, the entire game has played out. And I think that you know, as you said, Mario, I think that people's tendencies run a little deeper because things have gotten more personal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes they hate both people and they're looking for a tie break. And I do think that things like maybe material wealth comes into play. But as you said, I think a lot of times of does this person have a hard luck story? Like not just, oh, I'm, 
I don't have a lot of money, but like they have a sick relative or somebody that needs help or or something bad has befallen them or or something along those lines. And as you said, Mario, kids to support all of that stuff, I think, does play a factor. But it's just when people are like, well, they'll never vote for me because I'm rich. It's like that. I, I'm not fully convinced of that singular argument alone. Yeah, it does depend who you're up against. That's the thing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's that's what's that's what's great ultimately about this. And it's 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 great in a way that a lot of people don't necessarily come into effect is, you know, and that's why it irks me so much when people do this whole thing. where like, I need to rank winners or rank this season or rank this thing. And it's like the game is the game. It's this game that, you know, people play and somebody wins. But it is so nebulous as to who wins because it's up to the people who played the game as to who wins. And there is no other criteria for that. And, you know, it's just so mind blowing that just the 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 possibilities that can happen within a season and how that is going to play out. Yeah, I think that you brought up a really great point, Jay, that ends up tying into Dan about how, you know, these types of people, you get those arguments early on, but they're not necessarily safe for the end game. The edit of Dan actually resembles those types of people who have these, like, weird little moments but get voted out either, you know, in the middle of the pre-merge or, like, beginning of the merge, right? We actually talked about this with Tyrone. And that's yet another weird thing about the storytelling in this season. Dan Lembo is going to make a finale. He finishes in fifth, but he has the edit of someone who should have been voted out in episode five. And we get it for the entire season. Yeah, and again, he he does end up being sort of a cult figure among Internet Survivor fans. They've always loved Dan. People always talk about him as, like, one of the ironic stars of the season, even though, like you said, he doesn't do much. Yep, he becomes one of those darlings. It's just sort of what happens. (laughs) I mean, almost Purple Kelly in a way. Purple Kelly is kind of the same way these days. Like, oh, she's great, even though, ironically, she's not in the season at all. But, yeah, Dan tends to get the same treatment these days. Paul, were you a Dan fan? The thing that no- that I noticed on the rewatch here was like um, how often Dan kind of comes to the defense of Jane, which I thought was always kind of weird and stuff. It was always like, can't believe that Chase did that to Jane of all people. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden he was like Jane's backer here. So, again, very kind of underdeveloped in a lot of ways until um, he comes out swinging here at the end with his final words and obviously the jury question. Yeah, he's harsh in his jury question. I forgot about that. All right, okay, so we lose Dan. We're down to the final four now, and it's basically three people against Fabio. And, uh, I mean, there's no surprises here. It's either Fabio wins immunity or one of these other three people wins the game. Probably Holly, maybe Chase, I don't know. But, yeah, so uh, no surprises. But we go here to the Rites of Passage, which I forgot was still in the season here in Nicaragua. Well, Don't you mean mean Fallen Comrades? (laughs) I have to point out, in defense of all the people that get confused over what this is called over the years, Holly says right here, we have to pay tribute to our fallen comrades, but then she says we're doing rites of passage. So they use both terms interchangeably, which is terrible. That, that's why people get confused. I mean, Mario, it makes sense why you might be confused. It's like, oh, they're still doing this thing because they're going to take a break from it for the next two seasons because, like, the Redemption Island finales are so 
compact. You would think like modern Survivor finales are fast paced, but we're going to start kicking things up a notch next season when they have to do a returnee challenge and then a final five vote and then a final four vote and then a final tribal council. And so there just wasn't time for it. They'll come back for, for one world and then I think Philippines and Karamoan, but this is, at least for the next calendar year, the last aired rites of passage that we'll see on Survivor. Yeah, and it gets difficult because, you know, we we have had a rites of passage with something out of order in the sense of Survivor Pearl Islands, where Lil got voted out early in the game, right? But she then comes back into the game, as did Burton, right? So we, we don't get their torches where they were initially uh, uh, put out. We get Burton much later, and obviously we don't get Lil's at all because Lil makes the finals, right? And, and so, because Jeff Probst accidentally snuffed Sandra's torch instead of hers. Yeah, <laughs> also that. But we, you know, that's a, it, even though that's sort of out of order, it's still a linear sort of thing that we can understand in the sense that this is where it was when they were finally out of the game. We're going to get to Redemption Island where things get really, really weird and dicey as to where do you put their torch because there's the whole they were voted out of the game versus they couldn't last anymore on Redemption Island due to challenges and, and all that sort of stuff and, and, and people pile up. So, like, it just gets really weird with all of that. So e even though it's a tradition I like, the way they are moving the game in the future, I can understand why they're like, this is a logistical nightmare. Yeah, that's a really good point. I'm glad you mentioned that. I hadn't thought of that. Oh, that's okay. what I'm here. I'm here to do the boring stuff so that everyone goes, Jay's boring, but the other three, mm, let me oh, tell you. Speaking of boring stuff, let's watch people balance coins on the hilt of a sword. Yes. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait, we're overlooking one of my favorite parts of the season during the Rites of Passage. We gotta point this out. When they go to Nayanka's torch, and it's like blacked out because she's a quitter, and, and then she gives her final word. She's like, you know, I always had a smile on my face. I was very helpful. I was very friendly. I had a strategic game. And they play that over shots of her just being horrible to people. It's one of the greatest dichotomies the editors have and ever done. Those stupid shields they hang up, they look like yeah. a kindergarten art project. And then like, ooh, Nayanka and, and Purple Kelly, they don't have the honor of having their tribe colors. They get black. Ooh. Yeah, and I, it's also a pretty weak-ass way that they, they honor the, the rites of passage too, right? Because in the past we've had burn the skull at Exile Island, you know, uh, shoot off the, the gun that lights the ship on fire. This is toss their shields into a walk at the top of the mountain and watch it slowly burn. <laughs> yeah, if you guys want to laugh, watch Nayanka's final speech there during Rites of Passage. I always had a smile on her face as they show her beating up Kelly B and pushing her down, which is a great little dichotomy. Oh, and we also have Marty saying, I never once lied in this game. And I'm sorry, but Guillermo Villas would beg to differ about that. It's not a lie All if you believe right. it. <laughs> yes, and, and right, also, so the, but, but real yeah. quick, I, I think that that speaks. We've talked about how this is ushering in sort of a new era where Survivor is is doing a, their seasons are more paint by numbers. It's not about the new location that they're in as much. It's just about like we have these pieces where we've got a place that works. We're going to do the season, you know. And it's like you know, everyone says, "Why do you like older seasons as compared to newer seasons?" And it's like to me, it's that level of care in the sense that you talked about how like they shot guns at a ship and then it caught fire, like. That's cool. Mm -hmm. You know, and I know they're not real guns. I know it's like, you know, but still, they put all of that together to make this sort of show with this symbolic sort of end. And this time they're just like, well, here's a fire we made. Just take these <laughs> things that we found probably at a at a market somewhere and painted real quick and just just uh, toss them in. It's cool. I mean, do you guys not want to do you want to wear them? Do you want to 
<laughs> do you just want to go in the back and drink my tie? Oh, that's fine. We're, it's fine. We're all fine. Yeah, it's still a nice scene, but you can tell it's it's out it's outliving its usefulness. Okay. <laughs> okay, like Michael said, Mike said, final immunity challenge. They're holding a sword. They got to balance these uneven coins on top of it, and basically, again, keep saying it, Fabio's last stand. And sure enough, much to the delight of the crowd, again, I was watching it with a bunch of other super fans at the time, and they're all cheering Fabio. Fabio's a huge fan favorite among the people watching these shows at the time. Fabio pulls it off and wins again, and you know Fabio's basically wrapped up the win now because now he's in the final three. Right, but this is one of the more interesting votes because Jane, I would say, was interesting in that it was fairly straightforward. Like, they know she's going, and now they have to break the news to her. Now we get legitimate scrambling, I would say, for the first time in quite a while. Uh, even mm-hmm. someone like Brenda, when she was blindsided, chose purposely not to scramble. But here, basically, you have a lot of back and forth with, with you know, Sash. The, the Initially, the plan is, okay, no matter what, we're getting rid of Holly. It does seem like the three guys sort of had this loose agreement to want to go to the final three together, uh, talking about Holly's story. But then you have Sash trying to throw Chase under the bus and then Chase throwing Sash under the bus. So there is a tiny bit of interest as to, okay, you know, who's going to go here? Though, again, if this was maybe a final two instead of a final three, there would have been even more intrigue because Fabio would have been literally the sole vote uh, to choose who would have gone with him. Yeah, and Fabio himself even says it, that once he wins the final immunity, the whole rest of the season is basically him turning on the lights in the kitchen and watching all the roaches scramble. <laughs> Which, great analogy. Yeah, so they all start turning on each other. And if if you want to play a fun drinking game, drink every time Fabio says the word man during the finale. I'm loving this man. This is so cool, man. He's just smiling and laughing and everyone else is scrambling. But yeah, you finally see the three turn on each other and they're basically competing to see who's going to be decimated by Fabio in the final vote. Which then prompts the question, what is it with Survivor and people named Judd and their obsession with the word man? <laughs> comes, it comes with the name, apparently. As soon as you write that name on that birth certificate, the word man just seeped its way into his consciousness. <laughs> Do you think Judd Sargent's parents called him Juddy as well, or Judd the Stud? Well, he was a twin, so I'm assuming the other one was named The Stud, literally, so they couldn't use that nickname. Judd and Stud. (laughs) That's gotta suck if you're the twin not named The Stud. Alright, so yeah, so all the... Is there anything interesting about the scrambling here? I don't remember, so I didn't write any really notes really about the finale here. It's just another example of Sash being super seedy, in that Sash really flat-out lies to Fabio's face, saying, like, oh, yeah, even if you didn't win immunity, we would still want to take you to the final three. And Chase tells him, like, yeah, that's a lie. That's a (laughs) flat-out lie. But Fabio's also going to bring up later, like, yeah, it's great that Chase was was truthful to me now, but he hasn't been truthful to me in the past. So, again, Mm -hmm. if we're continuing how much these other two runner-ups kind of suck at the game, specifically in this end game, we're, we're getting it right here in the final stretch. And with that, we go to Tribal Council, and we lose Holly, our our fallen angel of the season, the one that editors and producers really, really wanted you to get behind. Were you behind Holly as a big character in the season? Because I've, I've heard people at the time, or maybe at the time, maybe not so much now, say, oh, she was like Kathy. She was the Kathy O'Brien. But I never really quite got that. Did you guys get that out of her? I mean, I think there was a lot of potential there. And I think it's like in a season where a lot of people weren't like super, super likable. I think there is a part of her that's, 
you know, besides her incident with throwing shoes in the water, there's something about it that's just, <laughs> you know, that's likable, that you like the Midwestern mom and her kind of redemption story. But like with a lot of things in, in the season, it just didn't feel fully flushed out. And, um, you know, I think we had it ch- that it was she was very close to being on a season a couple years later um, that didn't pan out. But I think there definitely was potential there. But I, I would agree with I think it was a little little trying too hard to make her into uh, a bigger deal than she actually was. When you put her story into a like just just a, a microcosm of, of itself. Yeah, it seems like it would be a big story, like someone looking back at the cliff notes of this season would say, yeah, Holly was a big deal because she's the redemption arc more than anybody else in, in the show, it, which is true. But at the same time, in, in almost all facets of the game, she, she her story has been overshadowed by somebody else's, Yeah, which, you know, is the problem. And, I, and if you're going to go with the, well, she's the old uh, lady person that – that, that we are following in, in the main story. It's like, that's not true because more attention was paid to Jane before she was being exited from the game, mm-hmm. right? And then we, now we're into Fabio's clutch immunity run and, and we're really just then in these in the last couple episodes, you know, highlighting, you know, Jane's fall and then, uh, you know, Chase Sash Fabio and the decisions they're making. Yeah, and that's the thing is that I, I feel like whether it's just due to the odd storytelling this season any sort of underdog story from Holly is there, but certainly not there to the extent of other people who have come either before, like uh, a KVO or afterwards, like Lisa Welchel is an example, I think, of someone who has a much bigger Holly story. Maybe it's because, like like you said, of, of the people around her. Maybe it's just due to the fact that Holly seems like a really great person considering what she did throughout the game again aside from you know committing property (laughs) theft and destruction uh but it it just you know i enjoyed i enjoyed watching holly but it was sort of like in the kingdom of the blind the one-eyed man is king where it's like if you Mm -hmm. compare holly i think to a lot of other survivor characters who underwent the same journey as she did she doesn't really hold a lot of water but i think in a season like nicaragua where nearly everyone is at least getting a little bit of negative content she's one of those people that got maybe one of the least negative especially in that tail end when she's you know giving up her reward or everyone's talking about like the the small town that she comes from she's also the spokesperson for not quitting which we know that the show really wants to to beat into the heads of its audience so uh, you know, she was good on the, for this season, but maybe when you compare it to the rest of Survivor history, uh, Holly's not necessarily up to snuff. Yeah, but, but it's all, the it's thing always, with her, if if I can just jump in here real fast with her, I I hardly, I mean, I don't remember. I used to always watch the the Ponderosas and things like that, and um, a few of them stick out very clearly in my mind, and Holly sticks out so clearly because she got voted off and got the cold shoulder. I think Alina came up, gave her a hug and was like, yeah, a lot of people here are really mad at you. And they were so cold to Holly when she got voted out. And I think for me, that's a reason why I could never get as fully excited about Holly as I wanted to be as the fallen angel was because there were so many people that did not talk to her when she got voted out. That's interesting. I never saw those videos, but yeah, that's, that's very telling. And again, it's very telling that she not, did not win the fan favorite award for player of the season because you could tell the producers really wanted her to. And then Jane sneaks in there, and then Fabio becomes like the one everyone remembers. But yeah, Holly has a very interesting place in Survivor history, and I, I, I'd never heard about that cold shoulder. So, like, what did they say why they didn't like her? 
I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it. I just remember this from years ago, just that people were not happy with her. And I know, you know, Dan, obviously with some stuff and Jane were kind of the recent ones that were burned by her. But I just, I remember very clearly Alina, Alina being the one to kind of comfort her and kind of being the only one that really was talking to her when she first got voted out. If you don't watch certain things, because I have been a proponent on the show of I don't enjoy bonus content for shows of Survivor because I hate that, you know, now people are like, they they don't tell a cohesive story in the 43 minutes per episode that they get. And then they're like, well, you have to watch the secret scenes on CBS.com in order to make sense of the storyline. And it's like, that's that's lazy and shitty. Like, you shouldn't have to have supplementary uh, quick videos for me to watch in order to understand the episode that you put together. That being said, the Ponderosa videos are fascinating usually. So I always highly recommend those. Oh, I was going to say something interesting. I don't remember. Jay, you, you stole my interesting card. Thank you. I don't think that's possible, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, I agree with you about the Ponderosa. I try not to watch them, but again, like Paul said, that fills in the details so nicely. Wow, okay, so uh, they just really didn't like Holly. Interesting. The, okay, the one thing I wanted to bring up about Holly that it turns me off on rewatches when I watch rewatch Nicaragua again, it's the more I learn about the Purple Kelly situation and how shitty it was, what they did to her, the producers, if you watch the editor, the, the episode where Kelly and Nayanka quit, Holly is the one they keep going back to to point out what a loser Purple Kelly is and how she's weak and terrible. And so the, the more I'm sympathetic towards Purple Kelly, it makes me harder to be sympathetic towards Holly because she's the one the editors are using like a cudgel to bludgeon Purple Kelly. So that's the thing I was going to bring up. It's, it's hard for me to root for Holly when I see that. Well, right, because like I said before, she's the representation of just when you think you want to quit – you got to stick it out and then you become state champions. But in this instance, it's that Holly makes it to like state finals and then loses at the final hurdle. <laughs> yes. And with that, we are down to the final three, one of the weirdest final threes in survivor history. Three people who I don't know were ever aligned with each other at any point. I mean, they were all kind of friendly with each other, but this was never like part of any sort of alliance of Fabio sash and chase. And we're going to get to the final tribal council here, which, again, the lead up to the final tribal council is just Fabio laughing at these two because they're, like, talking about the moves they're going to make or how they're, what they're going to say to the jury. And Fabio just knows everybody hates these two, and he's just laughing. He's like, I have no enemies. I've never made an enemy in this game. People like me. And, again, a lot of hardcore Survivor fans have a problem with that mentality. They're like, well, Fabio didn't make any moves. He didn't control anything. You don't have to. That's really the rule or the lesson I really hope a lot of more, you know, new Survivor fans, people that are just getting into the show, just starting to watch it, are starting to understand. You don't have to control anything. You just have to be more likable than the other two people. And this is like a textbook example of that, this final three. Well, it also, again, I, I, we're going to have Chase finish with four votes to Fabio's five. And I guess maybe a hint as to that happening Ooh. is Chase tries to pull a Chris Doherty here. At the very end, right? Like, there's this scene where he's trying to pump up Fabio, saying, oh, you're going to win, you're going to win, hoping that, essentially, like, Fabio is going to almost boast too much about his game. It's an odd thing, because, like, you think on paper, that's not the person who Fabio is. Fabio is not a Twyla, for many reasons. Uh, he's not going to suddenly, like, fall on his own sword that he was stacking coins onto. But the only thing I can think of is that they wanted to almost separate Chase from Sash, 
and say like, okay, now the narrative might be that Chase makes like a, a last minute surge and that he actually gets very close to winning, even though Fabio pretty much has this in the bag. Well, yeah, and you did point out the final vote is going to be five to four. But have you ever heard kind of the insider stuff behind why it was five to four? All right, the scuttle on this is that everyone knew Fabio was going to win, and a couple people felt bad that Chase was going to get blown out because Chase worked really hard and was a strong player. And so they started they threw, decided to throw maybe a sympathy vote at the end, hoping he, hopefully, hoping he wouldn't get shut out. And that's how – you know, eight to one or seven to two becomes five to four because more than one person did that. That's kind of what I've always heard over the years. So it's not, it's maybe not as close as you think it was. So it's more like Thailand in that regard, right? We're like, yeah. it's, it's was close, but it was always going to be at least the majority vote. Yeah. And that's where we get to the final vote. And what I want to talk about is the reveal is where it's not seven to two like Fabio thought it was because people had lied to him. Because they, they told him they were going to vote for him, but they really voted for Chase because they felt bad for Chase. And they didn't realize other people might have done that, too. And so it's really funny to watch for it in the live reveal. Okay, let's go to the, the Tribal Council, the final speeches. Anything? I just remember Marty, I think I mentioned earlier, dude. And Fabio's like, dude. It's like, it's like a little dude, where's my car a routine. And then Dan just roasts everybody. And then, uh, oh, Nayanka. Nayanka comes up, talks about... Fabio, my stoner friend. Again, we've think we've been thinking these two were mortal enemies the whole season. She gets up there. She's like, yeah, my hippie friend, my buddy. And Fabio talks about his mom, how much he misses his mom. He really meant would have meant a lot to see her. And Nayanka starts crying. And they all start crying. And Nayanka's like, this is why I appreciate you, Fabio. You keep it real. That was really real. And it's like, wow, that's not the story between Nayanka and Fabio we expected to see during the season. And then, of course, she votes for him to win. <laughs> What I'm going you... to give – I'm just going to give one gold star to Chase mm-hmm. you know, for all of the idiocy that happens. I think the way he handled Marty's question was textbook. And, and, and again, I, I think that you know, obviously you know, maybe a better answer would be to try to somehow gain Marty's vote with your answer. But you know, Marty's whole thing was he called him a dumber than a bag of hammers, and he wanted Chase to give the dumber than a bag of hammers award to somebody in the game, but he couldn't pick Marty. <laughs> right and and so what marty is trying to do is he's trying to get chase to 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 put dirt on somebody you know and the nice thing here is is that chase has got an option he can either try to uh put dirt on somebody but i think chase read it and was like it doesn't seem like marty's gonna vote for me so then he just kind of went back and said well i I'd, I'd still pick you and marty's like you can't pick me it's my question and chase is like i don't care i pick you yeah, it's, it's a little Katie Gallagher-esque, right? Of like, yeah. I know you're not voting for me, so like, why are we even going through this? I'm not going to play your game. Again, it's a difficult hole to navigate because in a different circumstance, some people might take it as like, why is he being so standoffish? But I think given this specific group of people, I agree. I would say the gold star goes to Chase in general. I think Chase actually does a pretty good job here. I think especially considering the bar was super low with... Not necessarily the game he was playing, but the way he was coming across to everybody going into this final Tribal Council. I think he does at least a pretty good job of trying to vocalize why he did what he did, as opposed to Sash, who I think really does like the too little, too late thing of, hey, I made a lot of alliances, that's separate from friendship, so I'm sorry about it. Again, if people think you're transparent when you're making alliances... They're going to assume you're transparent when you do this, too. I know it's a little bit of damned if you do, damned if you don't, but 
I mean, everyone had pretty much written off Sash at that point, whether it was due to other circumstances, but it didn't help essentially when he came in hat in hand and was like, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. We had such great times together. Well, again, this is where we have to bring up the mortgage gate thing again. Again, it's still an unproven rumor, but if indeed the producers had said you can't vote for Sash, we're just going to go through this little charade of a tribal council, and he can say whatever, but do not vote for him. You can see perhaps why he's not really trying. I mean, I don't. I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, they'll also give a little bit of BS onto Brenda here uh, because right, and she's she's going to like yell at Sash, being like. Why didn't you guys protect me, Sash? Why didn't you play the idol on me? And then Brenda's going to reveal at the reunion that she was plotting against Sash. So no wonder <laughs> Sash is going to give her, her idols because she says two days before, yeah, I want to get rid of Sash next. But yeah, I do agree. Chase does a very good job here. Fabio does an adequate job. Like, <laughs> he just basically giggles the whole tribal council to the point, to the degree that my wife was watching the other day. She's kind of, and I had it on in the background, and she kind of looks, she's like, is Fabio high? He's just giggling the whole time. Like, the jurors go out there, they will bash on Sash and Chase, and then Fabio giggles, and it's like, that's a weird tribal council to listen to in the background. I don't know. But yeah, Chase does pretty well, about as well as he could have done, knowing he was probably drawing dead. Although I have to say, before we uh, before we go to the final reveal here, I gotta lay, I gotta talk about Dan's final speech where he lays in the sash, saying, "You're spineless. I hate that smile." The first thing you should do after this game is go to a doctor and get that eye fixed because I hate that wink. <laughs> and then it cuts to Sash doing the wink with like a bicycle bell or something, right, yeah. to, to punctuate it. <laughs> yeah, it's clear Sash is nobody's favorite. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, we go to the final vote and uh, blah, blah, blah. We know Fabio's going to win. But I have to point out, in one last attempt of the editors to shit on Purple Kelly, the one thing they show when she walks up to cast her vote is they show her picking up the cap and trying to un- un- uncap the wrong end of it, picking up the pen. So one last little dig at Purple Kelly. Ha, ha, look, she can't figure out which end of the pen to write with. Just wanted to I, point that out. I also want to point out that, you know, whether it's just the, the structure of Ponderosa – or just has as the, the the show has 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 emerged, you know. Obviously, in this era of Survivor, the Ponderosa players are openly talking with each other, and I think because of that, minds get more formed and made on who they're going to vote for. You know, and this final tribal council is literally just a production and a charade. I, I think that at this point in Survivor, it's very rare that someone wins somebody's vote with anything in the tri- Tribal Council. I think that definitely people can lose certain people's votes if they just absolutely biff something. But I think that most people's minds are made up, and we're just kind of going through a catharsis here with everybody with the end of the show. That being said, what you see in this era and a lot of eras going forward are more lopsided votes. And I think that that's indicative of the fact that everyone's kind of talking and, and, you know, there's a clear idea of who's going to win and everyone wants to pile on and be the person that votes with that as well. And then we have Survivor Nicaragua. <laughs> yeah, again, it's the exception to prove the rule because I do agree. And I think part of that is also due to the advent of larger juries, too. You would think on paper it means, oh, yeah, more individuals means more individualistic thinking. But sometimes it means more groupthink, especially when you have jurors that have been on the jury for a long time uh, and sort of have something to say and are sort of corralling people's opinions. But, yeah, I mean, Survivor Nicaragua is going to be the closest vote, I'm trying to think, that we're going to get until... Honestly, is it until until the tie in Survivor Ghost Island? 
Wow, it could be. Yeah, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think through it. I mean, yeah, because we get like eight to one, six to three, etc. The only t- the next time that someone's going to come within one vote of winning the game from a runner-up perspective is going to be Survivor Ghost Island when we get the tie. <laughs> wow, that's quite a stretch of seasons. Although, uh, uh, so never mind. I don't want to talk about South Pacific too much. We'll get to that when we get to that. Okay, so. This, this is an interesting final reveal. We all know Fabio's going to win. And again, all the players have talked about, and they all think it's 7-2 to two in favor of Fabio. This is, when, they, when I'm at the finale the day before the taping, this is the scuttle. Everyone's just talking about it openly. It's no longer even a surprise. Yeah, I wouldn't even consider it a spoiler at that point. This is just a fact. We're just talking about this as if it's already happened. And we go to the reveal, and this is one of my favorite reveal moments in Survivor history, where Fabio is blindsided on live TV by the fact that it's not 7-2. to two. Now, You guys are aware of what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I mean, you can see things get a little palpable as the votes come in, right? Because I think, like, two or three chase votes come in at once, and mm-hmm. Fabio sort of, like, looks to the jury. I wouldn't say nervously, because uh, there's tough to tell anxiety on that man's face, but you could tell that, like, something's off. Okay, yeah, see, I think personally the producers are intentionally effing with the players in this finale, just the the people that edit the episodes, the producers, because when they show the final votes being cast, they show two for Fabio, they show two for Chase, which is indicative of a 7-2 to two vote, which is what all the players think it's going to be. And we cut to the live finale, and Fabio's sitting there, and he's drumming, and he's all hopped up, and I swear he was on some controlled substance. He was way more animated and hyper than he was when I met him earlier in the afternoon. Again, shocking Fabio may have been on some substance of some sort. So we go to live TV, and they start reading the votes, and there's the Fabio vote, and everyone knows Fabio's going to win. So Fabio kind of nods and looks at the audience. He knows he's going to win this. Again, he we know what's going to happen. Then the Chase vote, and then Fabio, then Chase, and this is where what every single person in that auditorium thinks it's going to be five Fabio votes in a row now. It's going to be seven to two. And you can hear it in the audience. That's the thing. It wasn't just super fans in the, uh, in the hotel that morning. This word had spread. Anybody who would have been in the know enough to be at the finale would have known it's going to be seven to two that night. So then the third chase vote comes up. And if you want to see a Survivor moment you've never really appreciated before, listen to the buzz in the crowd. You can hear it. They all like, ooh. Like, the whole tone of the finale changes because that is not the script everyone has expected tonight. And you can see Fabio kind of look at it like, that's not how it's supposed to happen. And the audience is doing it too. And then the fourth chase vote comes out. And this is where Fabio, you can see him get a ner- little nervous, and the audience goes, ooh, again, it gets real quiet in the auditorium. And Fabio looks over at the jury, and you can see him. I think he's looking at Nayanka, maybe. And he's like, did you guys punk me? Are you punking me on live TV? Did I tell my mom to come to this reunion, my whole family, that I'm going to win? Did you guys embarrass me on live TV? I've been acting like a spaz. I'm high up on goofballs or whatever all night. And did you do this to me on purpose? But then that next Fabio vote comes out, and that's when the tone changes. Then Fabio, like, relaxes. You can see him relax. He's like, yes, he starts pumping his fist. Now he knows he still has it. But I always thought the producers did that on purpose. They must have leaked that it was 7-2, to two, or they did something to mess with the players because it is edited like it should be 7-2. to two. And it's really fun to watch the players, especially Fabio, on his toes as it's being revealed. That being said, uh, the reunion is going to start a new era in Survivor of not necessarily stunt casting, but I think we're going to see an inordinate amount of Jeff Probst going into the audience. And something that I've I've forgotten about until we come around here is 
why did they keep the cast of Heroes versus Villains for like six months in the CBS Radford lot and have them sit in the audience for Survivor Nicaragua? Because there is a staggering amount of alumni sitting there. Is this the one where Coach is there? Coach is there. Rupert's there. Ceree's there. Rom and Russell are there for obvious reasons. Uh, you know, we'll talk about this with Redemption Island. It was odd that pretty much everyone knew that 22 was going to be Rob versus Russell, but they didn't just, they didn't announce it that night for whatever reason, yet they're still, like, prevalent in the audience. But, yeah, you have, like, a fifth of your cast of the previous season in the <laughs> audience for this new season. Yeah, it's okay. Let's talk about this reunion. So, the only thing, I didn't really watch the reunion for this taping and, re and because nothing really happens into it. All I remember is that Fabio is high on something. He's he's almost unintelligible, and he starts talking about metaphysics and the universe, and Probe's like, yeah, let's just move on and not talk about that. So, does anything happen in the reunion itself other than the, the preparations for next season? A beautiful song by Chase Rice. Yeah, okay. Buzz okay, let's talk about. Okay, let's talk about Jay brought him up earlier. Let's talk about Chase here for a second. I mean, what is there to say? It, it's not everyone like, knows this, Jay. This might not be okay. unfamiliar to some people. So, you know, it, it seemed fun and 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 like a nice thing in the sense that, you know, even though he came in second place, you know, they they sort of at the end, sort of as they as they're going, or not near the end, but at, at some point in the reunion, nearest to the end, uh, you know, they sort of introduce Chase and they're like, he's a musician and you know he's gonna be a wants to be a country music. Uh, you know, household name sort of thing, and here's a song by Chase Rice, and he pulls out a guitar, and he starts singing, and he sings a song, and it's just this lovely little sort of organic moment, and the thing is, is that most people at the time, I'm just kind of like, oh, isn't that nice? He's going to go to Nashville and, you know, poke around for a bit, and that's sort of how it goes. Boy, was that wrong, because, <laughs> you know, here we are all of these years later, and you know, not only is, 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 is Chase Rice doing okay with the music, he's doing more than okay with the music. He is a humongous country music star, uh, as it is. And, and I, as I said, I mean, you, you could maybe debate because music and like a TV personality are kind of two different things, but it's kind of like you would have to say the two people that born themselves or, or shined up their star for the TV more than any other people with Survivor, you know, you could almost argue would be, Chase or Elizabeth. I can throw mm -hmm. Col Colby in there as a last minute one, but yeah, do Col to... Colby, Colby and Boston Robert are, are, are definitely, you know, sort of personalities, but Boston Rob, you know, he had like that reality show for a little bit that followed him. And I, and I know that, you know, he and, and certain people have done like hosting of like certain things on the travel channel or something like that. And Colby, of course has, you know, he's become a host of like top shot and other things like that. But it's tough that that's like television things and that's TV sort of that's TV famous. Whereas like Chase Rice has now transcended that I would say. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now he's become something that like his name is not being affiliated with survivor really anymore. Maybe it's due to this season, but yet yeah, Chase has become a pretty prolific, uh, country artist, right? I think he, he ended up writing that Florida Georgia's line song cruise, which went like quadruple diamond or, or something like that. He is performing even to this day. Perhaps dangerously so, considering the circumstances in the country at this moment. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Jay can uh, can understate how much catapulted to fame the rando runner-up of Survivor Season 21 ended up becoming. But we're also going to hit this phase two where, like, Survivors kind of shoot their shot on, on the reunion shows and end up getting jobs because of it. Like, not to say that Chase got a country music career because of this, but we're right. going to get Cochran in a few seasons, right? Like, putting his name out there. So, again, the reunions are going to be a weird era 
in the 20s. We're going to Terry Bradshaw for a talking head in the middle of this reunion. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember. I remember nothing about the reunion itself, just the parts that you just mentioned, all these things. I, I don't remember anything they talk about. I'm sure there was discussions on the quit. I'm sure Nayanka was forced to apologize to Kelly, but I don't remember any of it. But yeah, Chase becomes a huge star. Fabio kind of drops off the face of the earth. You don't really hear from him after the season. Although there's rumors he got, what, arrested for skateboarding while high at some point, which does seem like a very Fabio thing to do. And Although, I, I will say one thing. Yeah, go ahead. What, do you, what were you going to say? Well, I think the – I don't know if this has been outright confirmed, but I believe people allege the fact that he blew through that million dollars <laughs> or, a high, you know, $650,000 when Obama's done with it. Uh, he just, like, <laughs> completely – just spent it all. Maybe this was for his, uh, what, his, like, eth his music, ethnicology, traveling the world and undermining the government stuff. I'm not sure if he spent that or just, like, a rock and boat party. But, yeah, I believe the story was, like, he was pretty much back to the way he was uh, fairly quickly after Survivor. Well, okay, I was going to say something because I, I've, I have heard that rumor. I don't know if it's proven. It seems unlikely to me because Fabio was a very bright guy. And it seems like he had a good head on his shoulders with stuff like, like he wouldn't do something impulsive like that that would ruin, potentially ruin his life. It, it, he doesn't seem to me like the type like Johnny Fairplay. We go back to Pearl Islands where Lil's like, I don't want to give Fairplay the million dollars because he'll just kill himself with drugs. It seems to me like Fabio would have been smart enough to sock at least some of it away just, just because he's a smart guy. But I don't know for sure, but I, 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 I don't know one way or another. Well, Fabio is also 21, though. He, he is, but he's very bright. But 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 is he bright with his money, Mario? Well, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay, I will say the only you, you are you are now projecting. You're saying he is intelligent, so therefore he will be intelligent with his finances. And like I know plenty of people who are almost genius level intelligence, and you can't give them a credit card because they will overspend. It's true. And Fabio does have stuff like modeling gigs on the side where he will always be able to pick up side money. So maybe the survivor money wasn't even that important to him. Who knows? You know, and, and you're attacking it from this this perspective of like, if I get a chance to be on Survivor and I win the the million dollars, six fifty after tax, whatever sort of thing, like this is life changing money, and I'm going to you know first of all pay off debts, I'm then going to you know put some into this investment, and I'm going to do this, and then I may you know get something nice for myself here, and, and you're doing all these sorts of things. Whereas like, that's not everyone's line of thinking. Now <laughs> they've just got this money, and they're like, all right. What do I want? I want that. Let's have it. You know, and and I'm not saying that one is right over the other, but again, this is now when people are projecting themselves. It's the investment when they're projecting themselves into the game. They talk about what they would do with the money, and it's like, yeah, that's cool, but that's also not up to you. You know, Fabio got this money. If he blew through it, we can maybe make value judgments on that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because absolutely we can, but also it's his money. You know. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a very. I do know he. I know he's not especially active on social media or in the Survivor community, but I do believe he's married with kids now. Like he's kind of settled mm -hmm. down. Although I heard a sad story about him. This is a uh, one of the Survivor alums had told me this that met Fabio. They said at one point after the show, Fabio got West Nile virus or something, and it really did a physical had a lot of physical effects on his body and he took a long time to recover from that to the point that he might have not been in any physical shape to be on winners at war later and a lot of people don't know that that's one of the stories i've heard over the years that he had a really rough time with a virus but wait was this from his time on survivor like he got stung with the mosquito or was it just purely circumstantial afterwards this is just living in california mike this is how it works oh, out here 
<laughs> yeah, we have West Nile out here during the summer. You got to be careful. Well, let's talk about Fabio for a second, because I know that, you know, Mario, I think you've, you've rightfully so spent a lot of time over the course of these podcasts talking about Fabio's a different as a winner, but is that bad? And I think we all demonstrably say no, but I think what Fabio also represents is a really key facet on Survivor. We talk a lot about IQ, but I think Jay referred to it even just a little bit before about how IQ doesn't necessarily translate to a game uh, of Survivor, which is primarily social and involves people with blood and organs and all that stuff. I think what Fabio had in spades besides charisma was not IQ, but EQ. Again, not to say that he was necessarily a dumb kid. I think Mario said that he was in gifted classes, but maybe the way he was coming across was not necessarily the most like street smart, maybe in comparison or bookish compared to everybody else. But I think when it came to perception and sympathy and empathy and endearing yourself to people, I think Fabio had that on lock. And I think it goes to show, as we mentioned before, how EQ is probably a more valuable quotient to have as a high number in Survivor than IQ, where you can certainly think through numbers and combinations if you want to, but if you're not able to connect with them on an emotional level, that's only going to get you so far. And though Fabio had his back against the wall, he was able to connect with at least five jurors to net himself the million-dollar prize. So that, that's something I've always, you know, gotten from someone like Fabio is, yes, it's a little bit of a lull win, but I think it also proves how EQ is often an underestimated facet in a Survivor player because it's, it's tough to sort of represent on the show. Yeah, and he's never going to be the most strategic winner. He doesn't dominate anything. He never controls this game for one second. But from a TV point of view, he's easily one of my all-time favorite winners. Just, it's fun. It's a fun ending. You always remember this season. Like, I, I cannot imagine if Sash had won this season, it would be anywhere near as well-remembered. And again, this is not an especially popular season. If this always shows up, they, this is the start of the Dark Ages, or this is one of the weaker seasons. It's a joke. It's a train wreck. But, like, I just think it's kind of a fun season, and uh, we're going to have some seasons coming after it that aren't maybe as fun. I like this one more than a lot of the seasons in the 20s, just because it's kind of lighthearted and stuff. But I mean, almost 100% of that is Fabio. Nayanka to some extent, but Fabio winning just puts, puts a whole different perspective. Like, it wraps up this present with a whole different bow. So I will always love this season just because of Fabio winning, even though I will admit it's not everyone's cup of tea. Very rarely do we get the, the story, because... You know, that was something that I sort of thought about in the earlier seasons of Survivor. I placed heavy value on people who won individual immunities. That was something that I was sort of about, right? It was kind of why I sort of rooted for Colby over Tina in Survivor Australia, because I was like, yeah, they're both in the same alliance, but Colby won all those challenges. Shouldn't that count for something? And the answer is no, it doesn't if the people don't value that sort of thing. You know, but but there are people that have gone on like late immunity runs that they had to go on. Like people have gone on like Dara in Pearl Islands went on like a late immunity run until she lost the one and got voted out. But, you know, Fabio did not win a ton of immunities in the season. He won three, but he won the most important three. He won them right near the end when everyone in his previous alliance has basically crumbled out of this game. And so, you know, it, it, Fabio to me is, is the example of he, he, he got the clutch wins when he needed to. And because he was sort of on the outs and, and not driving anything, he sort of walks into the end with just a completely free conscious on his hands. That being said, he barely won. <laughs> yeah. 
It is very interesting that that vote is so close. And again, I, I've speculated about that five to four, people just feeling bad for Chase and throwing him a couple sympathy votes. But I could be wrong about that. Maybe it really was five to four. I, again, if none of us were there, we don't know for sure. But yeah, it's Fabio barely wins. <laughs> so, Paul, how were how upset or happy were you? You did not get to break Fabio's balloon. <laughs> Um, I think I survived. I don't know. Just even like, I think this just sums up like, I just don't have that much to say about Nicaragua. Like it happened, Fabio won. And it's like, um, I don't know. Like it just was a, a weird time in the show's history coming off of Heroes versus Villains. It's going to be a couple years till they kind of figure out the direction they want the show to go in. And so Fabio's win is what it was. And I'm, you know, going to be excited to continue to follow the evolution of Survivor into the 20s. Um, Nick Rogg, which is kind of one for me, it's always been one you just kind of have to get through and not the one I'm um, most excited about, but I'm glad we did have some, you know, some some good chats about this season. Yeah, it's a weird season. I think I know I, I keep saying that over and over again, but that's really the only way to describe it. And you know, the way I distill a lot of survivors through its storytelling, and the storytelling is just all over the place, for better or for worse. We've talked about it this entire time, how they really didn't know what to do with all the oddness that happened in this season. It definitely is a train wreck of a season. That's not a bad thing. I would say, though, if you give me a weird season, give me maybe more of a Survivor Gabon which is all over the place the entire season, as opposed to Survivor Nicaragua, which, as Mario said, is sort of like almost a little a little dull in fits and starts, but then also is sort of surrounded with a lot of oddities as well. But mm-hmm. very fun to talk about all the weirdness as we move into something that's maybe not particularly interesting. The final words of this season are Jeff Probst saying, February 16th, Survivor Redemption Island. You will love it. We did not. <laughs> okay, let's talk about this just for a second. I know we want to sign off here, but... I have to think the producers panicked after this season, knowing they have a story that's untellable. They have a winner named Fabio who, at at the very best, is an amusing joke. Like, they had to know after their big Heroes versus Villains season, this is not the season they wanted. This is not the season the fans would have wanted. I have to imagine there was a fair bit of panic, and I think that's why we get the next season, which is get the stars back out there immediately and draw the fan base back in. Would you agree with that? Maybe. I'm just saying, that's, the timing has always been suspect to me. It's, there's no reason for them to do a returning player season so fast other than they could not have been happy with this season. There is that, but I, I, th- that, that's a lot of, like, focused thought into it, Mario, in the sense mm-hmm. of, like, we did this all returning season, which did gangbusters, and now we did this season with all new players and Jimmy Johnson – and it didn't do all that well and wasn't very well received. So now we must go to returnees. I, I, I think mm-hmm. that I, I think that probably they looked at the heroes versus villains even before Nicaragua and just said, "We need more of that." Mm-hmm. It's possible. Just yeah. <laughs> but th- this season was so unfortunate for the producers what they were trying to turn Survivor into. Again, this is one they never talk about, and it just it just was unfortunate for everybody involved. I think. My guess is what, with all the fallout from Heroes versus Villains, they immediately started brainstorming, you know, do we do like another Micronesia? And then someone probably, you know, Johnson in the corner probably came up with, uh, you know, uh, like, hey, let's have like two people be like team captain type people. And then they're thinking of like people that they could put head to head in there. And then just like anything, just like you said, just has in earlier seasons, like 
you know, certain people they were going to slot onto this season, but then they said no, and then they held them back for a couple of seasons, and they got onto another episode. You know, I think that they probably had certain things lined up or, or certain things they wanted to do, and then maybe with Nicaragua sort of tanking or or, or not doing so well with the fan base and stuff like that, they were like, let's do the Robin Russell one because it's <laughs> Robin Russell. But I, I think I don't think that that's something that they thought of as a response to Nicaragua. I can guarantee you that was already brewing beforehand. Yeah, well, we can we'll save it for the beginning, but I I wonder if we'll take a look. I think in the interim at like the filming dates in particular, because again they were doing these back to back. I don't know if you're watching the way Nicaragua is going, and you're like, okay, I guess we have 14 days to convince Robin Russell to come back for this season, <laughs> if if that holds water. But we'll see. We're gonna get into a not so great season of Survivor, but I think we'll have a great time talking about it. I gotta say one thing. You keep you said that twice now. A season we didn't like. A season that is not so great. I have no doubt that Jeff Probst thinks that's the greatest season they've ever done. I have no doubt that a lot of fans think that too. Just not the vocal internet fans. So that's, I just want to throw that out there before we get to this. I don't think this is as universally hated a season as you are painting it. I think Redemption Island is very polarizing, but there are people that really, really like it. Well, here's a little taste of what's to come. I cannot wait to talk about Sarita. <laughs> oh, God. I think just just as a preview, looking into Redemption Island, just as you said uh, with Survivor Samoa, where you were like, there was a great story. They just didn't tell it because they told the Russell story. Mm -hmm. I think that there's some great storytelling in Redemption Island, particularly about Boston Rob. And yes, they do tell a story about Boston Rob the whole time. I get mm -hmm. it. And I'm not sitting here going like, boy, I wish they'd show more of that Rob kid. You know, he, he's a Survivor guy. Like, yeah, he, he dominates the screen. But... I think that there's some wonderful things that they could have told about what actually happened on Redemption Island, but they went in a different direction, and we got the story that we got, which was not the most entertaining. And I guess that's why Mike's saying it's a bad season. It's not, oh, this happened, or blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, we'll, we'll get way more into this when we get into Redemption Island, but that season was not supposed to be Rob versus Russell, was it? It was supposed to be Hatch against Russell, if I recall. Yes, but a judge would not let him out of the country again. Yeah. It is funny how Survivor history has developed and changed in different ways because Boston Rob was not supposed to be on that season because this will be very shocking to a lot of people. Boston Rob was not considered a very successful Survivor player at that point. It was kind of a WTF moment, like, why is he against, like, but Russell, the big new thing in Survivor history, the, the goal was to put him against Richard, who was the original big thing in Survivor history, and Boss and Rob only stepped in because they couldn't get Richard for legal reasons. So it's very interesting how Survivor history has developed because of that change. And I think that's all we have to say about Nicaragua without actually starting a Redemption Island podcast. So anything else you guys want to say before we sign off here? No. I got to go see a doctor about getting my damn eye fixed. <laughs> I got to go look up who Sarita is quickly. I want to go God. hunt down uh, um, Wendy Joe at the Olive Garden. <laughs> okay. Well, I I'll just want to say, we had, <laughs> I was going to say, I just want to say I had fun uh, as always doing, covering a season that again, not historically popular, but one that I think is infamous for several unique reasons. And I think deserves a place in survivor history, just because it's hard to compare Nicaragua to anything else. And I, you can tell, I can't even pronounce it. So, uh, and I just want to say, I had fun talking about it in the words of Jane Brat, Jane Bright. That was fun as crap. <gasps>
<laughs> As always, for the Survivor Historians, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. I'm Mike Bloom. I'm Paul Oslison. And we will be back soon for the coverage of Survivor Redemption Island, possibly the most polarizing season in Survivor history, which I am dying to talk about, even though the season is not historically popular. There is, like Jay said, there's a lot of interesting story choices to talk about. So, uh, again, thank you for listening to us. Thank you for tuning into our long-ass podcast. If you need to reach us, you can reach us at SurvivorHistorians at gmail.com. And until next time, we'll be waiting on a Redemption Island in the arena for your challenge. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Purple Kelly finally has something to say. I just don't know, like, physically how much longer I can put up with this. Purple Kelly, weigh in on this. Give us 20 years of wisdom. What do you think we should do with your torch? What happened to there? It got smushed. Smushed. <laughs> Is that the word, smushed? But, Nayanka, they didn't quit. Purple Kelly, what do you think should be done with your torch? You guys are quitters. I think it should be snuffed, too. All right, so I'll snuff your torches, but we're going to keep them here at Tribal Council. They'll be a reminder to you guys when you come back in here as part of the jury of the decision you made to quit. Benry makes the best move of the challenge for the yellow team with the ceremonial loser dismount. So let me ask you the question that my mom would want asked, which is, why don't they have a, their own alliance and try to do something or force a vote? Seems crazy. At the challenge, the winners get enough luxury to keep them strong until the end. Oh, man. And as for the losers, they will be taken and executed. <gasps> they ought to cut your damn hands off.